I am Consciously Curious, a podcast for those that are searching for a career or cultivating meaning within their own space. We've had anesthesia providers to barbers, dog behaviors to airline pilots, white collar to blue collar, entrepreneurs to passion projects. Life's too short to not produce meaningful work. Join me, Victor Chan, as we deep dive within various industries. I'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to leave a comment. I hope you find some value within these conversations, but more importantly, I hope it sparks a meaning within your own space. Our next guest is highly accomplished in the various industries he's been in. From being a derivatives trader in finance to teaching Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu at Valco BJJ, he's currently crushing it as a real estate broker and investor. He's the reason I'm currently in this studio space. We dive into a variety of topics, but the underlying thread surrounds the concepts of cultivating happiness while striving for excellence. He also hosts his own podcast that features guests within the jiu-jitsu space, finance, and self-improvement. Please enjoy my conversation with Lawrence Dunning. Um, okay, so without further ado, uh, you know, we're live and uh, Lawrence, Lawrence Dunning, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you, brother. It's great to be here. And uh, to give people a background of like how we know each other, um, we got to shout out Justin Doggett from Kyoto Black and from Valco um, Jiu Jitsu uh, for connecting us. And, you know, before the studio, before the EMT class, I was really close to signing a contract or paperwork for another commercial space. And that commercial space was going to put limits on when I could have business. Um, They were hesitant when I told them I have about 60 students. And they're like, 60 students? And it's like small law offices, essentially, or or artist lofts. So they're not used to that much foot traffic. And they were going to charge me an extra cleaning fee for the restrooms and limit, like, which days I can, you know, conduct business. And at the time, I didn't know there were any other spaces. Like, by, by doing a Google search or a Zillow search, like, you're not coming across a lot of spaces, right? So I told Justin this, um, and Justin was like, hold on, before you sign anything, let me, you know, connect you with, with a friend. And I will never forget this, and I was taken aback by how responsive Lawrence was when you were in Mexico, you're in Mexico and I was like, Hey Lawrence, I'm a friend of Justin's or Justin connected us and uh, I'm looking for a commercial space. And like not even a day, maybe the same day or a day after, uh, Lawrence is like, Hey, I'm in Mexico. Uh, let me send you a few places. And as soon as we get back, we will find it. We'll, we'll go there and check it out in person. And that we did. And this was out of the three places you sent me. I like this one. And, uh, we, we saw it in person and I think assigned a lease like maybe a week later. And here we are, uh, and it's all painted and remodeled, and now we're doing business in here. And <laughs> I was going to say, you've done a great job. It looks so much better now. And uh, yeah, shout out to Justin. That was awesome. And that's a good reminder for people in real estate is it's such a great business. I love real estate. It, you, you can, to an extent, um, build your schedule around the way you want to live your life, which is what I do, and I love to travel. But you don't, just because you're on vacation, business doesn't stop and it's, mm. it's a relationship business so i get i get both sides i get people that see me living the life i live and they're like i want how do i get into real estate i want to live your life yeah. thinking that i go to mexico for a week and i don't even look at my phone <laughs> and then i got other people that are like you must be a terrible broker you're always traveling and it's like well i i, I respond more typically when i'm out of the country than most brokers do when they're in chicago so it's 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 great because you can build a schedule that, that works for you but you do have to and, and some people see this as a negative you do have to kind of keep that connectivity which i don't mind because like look, look at where it leads like there's there's things we do to make money 
but the one thing with real estate is there's the month obviously I get paid commission for my work but the people that I meet I, I don't I don't take that for granted like the fact that you and I connected I've met so many wonderful people that I wouldn't mm-hmm. have met if I wasn't working in real estate so I really 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 like that and Justin's a great guy and I'm so glad we met yeah and and so I've been trying to do my research in what you're about and your life philosophies and one thing as a podcast host that you can probably relate to is you don't want, especially if that guest has been a guest on many other shows, you don't want to waste their time in trying to have them share anecdotes or philosophies that they've shared previously. I don't want to waste your time, right? So it's been fascinating and fun to kind of listen to all your previous episodes. So, you know, Lawrence is a man of many, many talents um, from you recently won or you placed in an Ogi uh, jiu-jitsu competition um I, i'm sure if you were to prioritize father you know being a good husband and father is at the top of that list real estate agent you've been a derivatives trader you've had your own trading company i it, it's highly accomplished right so i think the common thread in this episode will, will be how to cultivate excellence right we both are students of self-improvement um, but I'm also a little curious about, and I'm sure a lot of people, like you said earlier, look to real estate as a possible career because of how appealing it looks, whether it's the money you can make or the time that, you know, the free time that you might have from it, the lifestyle, um, but specifically commercial real estate and real estate investment. Um, I All I hear is like, there are a lot of tax write-offs in real estate and <laughs> it, it's a great investment vehicle and you talk to uh, Jay Velko versus, you know, about stocks as a way to, to invest versus real estate. Um, and so I guess a good place to start would be what it's like being a commercial real estate, uh, is broker or agent a good word or yes, broker. So, um, so actually typically real estate is, uh, people do residential or commercial. They focus. I do both. So with investments, it's, it's kind of, it gets people a bit confused. It, Commercial doesn't mean it has to be a business. So if you have a three flat with three three different units you rent to regular people, so it's not business, they're just residential units, that's considered residential if it's under four units. So two, three, and four units, that's residential. Now, if you have a six-unit building still with residential people, it's considered commercial for- Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, for, for, for the loan. Oh. So basically, I do a lot of investment properties, and I do, like I'm, I'm closing this week on a 16-unit, so that would be considered a commercial building. But- Mo, like um, I guess it's just easier for builders. Typically in Chicago, on a standard size lot, they build three units with three three bedroom, two bath units. That's kind of the the the, the more typical because based on the, the the size of the lot and the building, um, you, you need a certain amount of square footage to have mm. a certain amount of units. So typically, the bread and butter that I sell, I do a lot of is is multi units that are three units. But I also do you know twelve units, sixteen units, bigger stuff too. So, yeah. but the real estate model, the reason it's so attractive for people that are listening that don't that don't really know the difference between if if you have a, if you have a bunch of money and you want to invest it for your future self, you have you have a, a few different options. So the, the you know one option is to to leave it in the bank cash, and every we're in a very high inflation environment. So every every month you're you're losing a little bit to inflation and purchasing power. The other thing is you can put it in the stock market. The stock market historically has done very well. It's it's kind of having a bit of a pullback now, which if you look at a, a 10 or 20 year graph, it makes sense because up until the last few years, it's pretty much been an unbroken run upwards, which is very unusual. So we've been in this incredible stock market um, period where it seems like it's kind of running out a bit of, of a bit of steam. Um, real estate is, 
it's not taught very much in like I have a an MBA and when I was in business school all the things that I learned that it's, it's not very practical knowledge because when you if you want to learn real estate it's very hard to be taught real estate by any academic institution because it tends to be so local so we're recording this in Pilsen which mm-hmm. is a great location where your studio is Pilsen is was one of the hot spots in Chicago um, and that's actually where I when I started in real estate I started developing in Pilsen it's become very expensive now so people have gone they keep going west so that if we go from here east that goes to downtown chicago if you go west it becomes a bit cheaper so as the prices on the east side of pilsen get more expensive everyone spreads west and this is changing in real time so it's like how do you it's very hard to to learn this stuff without somebody saying to you like to, to use to use pilsen as an example Three years ago, a developer wouldn't go west past Western. Mm. And then they would start going west to California. Then now they go past California. So um, people that are listening that aren't from Chicago, these are streets that run north-south. So what I'm trying to say is real estate is so local. Even if you're talking about Chicago real estate, which is already, you know, someone's listening in Florida, they don't know anything about Chicago. Chicago real estate is even within the city you have the overall market that might be slowing down because of interest rates going. So the national market is slowing, but you'll always have these pockets that are in really high demand where there's not much inventory. So one thing I really want to want to state with um, people listening that are thinking about investing in real estate and they're reading headlines where they're talking about there's going to be a big slowdown, a big price correction or recessions coming. The price of real estate is based on supply and demand. And if the demand is slowing, because inter- which is, is happening, because interest rates are going up, it's, it's becoming much more expensive to buy a place, that's slowing. But if the supply stays relatively limited, prices are never going to fall that much because you just don't have that much supply. And I think that we're entering a stage now, ever since 2008, 2009, when there was that big real estate correction, where there are a lot less builders that have been building for 15 years now. So the national supply of housing is is massively short compared to the population of the US. Mm. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating time. And I don't have a crystal ball, but one of my pet peeves, Victor, is when people... People are so certain, like, okay, in six months, price is going to be cheaper, so I should wait. Or, no, no, in nine months, rates are going to be lower, so we should buy. We don't know. I've spent a lifetime trying to study this, and I, I read all the time. I read articles. I'm subscribed to all these really smart economists, and I'm always trying to learn. And it's it's fascinating because it's, it's endlessly fascinating and endlessly frustrating because, <laughs> it, you know, it, you, you're constantly changing your mind based mm-hmm. on the data that comes in every day. So I remember a month ago, we were really expecting the inflation data to show inflation had peaked and rates were going to start coming down. And unfortunately, it was the opposite. The inflation number came a little over expectations. The rates mm. went up and I lost a few deals that were uh, early stages. I was like, oh. So it's, it's one of those things where no one knows. We, we, the best we can do is have an idea. But going back to your original question, sorry, I'm waffling. But oh, okay. the, the reason why real estate is such a good investment is because you have many different ways you can make money. So we, this building that we're sitting in right now in Pilsen, say you buy this building today. The ways you're going to make money is initially you should make hopefully a bit of cash flow on you're going to rent out the units and the total amount of money you bring in through the rents is going to be higher than all your costs so your costs would be your mortgage your tax your water your utilities your vacancy all your fees so the, the, most people look at real estate as i'm going to make i'm going to make some type of cash flow but even if you made zero cash flow it's still a great investment why you touched on it the, the big benefit is if you make money the amount of tax write-offs you get from real estate is it's one of the secrets of the uber wealthy is 
they pay very little taxes. And one of the best tax shelters is real estate because your accountant will depreciate the value of the building against your income. So you're gonna, so even if you, so ideally you're gonna make cash flow on the building. But even if you don't make any cash flow, you're gonna make a lot of money on the back end. So the first one is the tax benefits. The second one is the, you would assume over time, just like everything else, real estate is gonna appreciate with inflation, which we have seen historically, just like the stock market. Over time, even though it has these, um, good periods and bad periods, over time in general, everything goes up together. Mm -hmm. So it, it's a it's an inflation um, protected asset. It tends to do very well with inflation. So that's the other way you make money. Then you also, every month you're paying down your mortgage. Some of that is, is tax, is some of that is interest, but some of it's principal. So you're paying down your principal every month too. So that's kind of, it's almost like a forced way. Instead of you putting $1,000 in a savings account every month, you're paying down $1,000 of your principal every month. So it's like an automated way of saving money. Mm. So when you combine all those four things, even in a bad market where maybe the value is not appreciating, maybe even it's going to go down a few percent from where it was last year. As long as you can wait and be patient, that's the key with real estate is real estate is not like when when crypto was when cryptomania was was going and you can suddenly make you know twenty percent in a week, it's not that kind of investment. It's it's the best way to make generational wealth, but you have to give it time. So it's not a, a fast play; it's a very slow and steady play. But it's also the secret of the uber wealthy. There's very little, very very wealthy people that don't own vast amounts of real estate. Most of them have a lot of real estate. Yeah, what, was it Bill Gates that owns like most amount of land? Yes, and he's buying it around here. I think he's buying it in the Midwest. Oh, buying a lot of Midwest Midwestern land. So um, that's it's it's the one thing about the Midwest is I guess I got lucky because I'm working in real estate and I happen to live in Chicago when I transitioned from trading to real estate. And in Chicago and in the Midwest in general, the returns you get from properties tends to be higher. So when I talked about the, the original um, example of this building and the income you're making from the from the tenants versus the expenses of the mortgage and everything. In general, in Chicago, you are making some income. If you look at the East Coast or the West Coast, those guys, a lot of time, they're losing a couple of percent a year on the cash flow, but they're making it on the appreciation and the tax benefits. So I'll get these investors to call me from Boston or from, from San Francisco or from New York, and they're so excited when they realize the amount of cash flow they can get in the Midwest versus in their local market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, as a... So, what if you don't have that type of income to buy a building? Yes, that's the problem. That's the biggest problem. So every investment has pros and cons. And the one thing is you can have $100 and you can buy, put $100 in the, in, a, in the stock market. You don't have to have huge lump sums. In general, with real estate, the hardest thing is getting started. You tend to have to have a big lump sum. Um, as an investor, it's typically 25% down to buy a building, which is, you know, for an $800,000 three unit, that's a huge amount of money. It's nearly a quarter million dollars, 200000 so there's some tricks though for things like uh, first-time buyers. They have things like FHA loans where you put down three and a half percent, and there's ways you can you can get the seller to say add three percent to the purchase price and then give you three percent of credits, and then you use that as your down payment. So there's certain tricks where you can buy real estate with almost nothing down, but it's becoming that that was the case maybe six months ago. Now interest rates are so high, we're in a really tough period where that even if it works for the for the this FHA loan. If it works for the loan requirements, a lot of time the bank has this thing called a self-sufficiency test where they want the rents to be a certain amount to cover the loan. And now the loan is so much higher because of the interest rates, a lot of buildings won't qualify. So one of the things the Federal Reserve want to do is they want to slow down housing to combat this inflation. So they've raised rates so fast and so aggressively. Um, we're recording this at the end of October. 
so fast and so aggressively the last few months that it's causing a lot of people, even that have the money and they want to buy, they want to buy real estate, they won't qualify on the loans now because of where interest rates are. So it's a it's a fascinating and very difficult period to be working right now with with investors and with investment properties because it's becoming every week that goes by and the rates that go up, it's becoming harder and harder to qualify. Um, it's not going to last like anything. I think inflation is going to show its peak, you know, any month, you know, with, whether it's going to be a month or two or three months. And then once inflation numbers start coming back down, I think the Fed's going to start lowering interest rates and it's going to become a lot much easier because mm -hmm. there's too much. The, the biggest debtor right now, you know, there's a lot of people that have debt, but the biggest debtor is the U.S. government, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, uh, whatever it is, 25 trillion. I, I don't even know what the latest number is. It's just so high. So it's, it's long term. It's not a good thing to have these high interest rates. It's not a good thing for the US government. So I think there's a lot of pressure to bring them down. And right now, right now, actually, I'm very anti, I'm very, I'm, my philosophy is libertarian. Like I love, I, I want a smaller government, less regulation. I think that's much healthier for, for everybody. And I don't, the Federal Reserve generally tends to, um, they tend to let the good times go too long and then they do things that cause big corrections. Whereas if they just didn't, if they just left the free market work, I think would have less boom and bust. So mm. in general, I think they've been very responsible. But I will say, as bad as it is for me personally in my real estate business, what the Fed's doing right now is right. They're being, they are, they are doing things which I think is necessary to slow the market down, to get inflation under control, to help the people. Because as we were talking about off air, inflation is is a flat tax that really affects the poorest, the hardest. You know the super wealthy people. They don't care if their grocery bill every week is four hundred or five hundred dollars. That's twenty percent difference. They don't won't even notice it. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck and your groceries, your rent, and your gas bills go up twenty percent, you're getting crushed. So I, it, for once, the Fed is actually doing the right thing by kind of really slowing down the real estate market, and they're making it so much harder to buy real estate in order to bring inflation back down. I see. Okay. Yeah, I mean, because uh, in areas, especially like Pilsen and, and uh, Little Village, gentrification, right, and, and displacement. Uh, I know someone who's currently running for, for alderman of this area, and he got displaced from Pilsen to Little Village, right? And, um, and he works for the fire department. So having a salary from the fire department and not being able to, I think he was outbid by 50000 and not being able to afford a building in your own neighborhood is disheartening. Now, that's someone with a... A, I would, if I were to assume close to a six-figure salary, unable to buy a building, imagine the majority of the residents in this neighborhood getting pushed back, like you said, west. Um, and uh, I, when you s said like this massive down payment for real estate, there, there's an app called Fundrise where you can invest partially, you know, whatever you want, but they invest in real estate. So it's like they have their own portfolios and stuff like that. I think the problem with that is that's a way to get in. I think of the, the revenue streams you get from real estate, I think that's a way to get the, maybe the cash flow and maybe some of the appreciation, but you're, I don't think you're getting the, the, big, the, the tax benefits and the no, debt paid oh, out, yeah, right? definitely that's, not. Definitely so not. that's definitely a way to play the real estate game yeah. and get some of the benefits. But to get, and that, that's the other thing, Victor, I do want to emphasize is, too many people look at things like, oh, that's going to be passive income. I'm going to buy a building. Well, even if you buy a building, it's, you still have to get tenants and you're still going to have issues to repair and you're still going to have to pay the water bills. And that it's net, it's, you can outsource a lot of it. You can get a good, a good management company, but there's, it's still work. So yes, you're going to get more benefits of it and you're going to get more um, different revenue streams on the back end. But if you want a truly passive 
investment in real estate, you probably do want to go for something like you said, some kind of fund where they're going to take that and you're going to outsource all that headaches and the management and everything. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's uh, it's kind of like Robin Hood, but for real estate. Exactly, yes. yes. Um, but I guess like how, how does one, like what other ways can someone like save uh, for a down payment? I, exactly. I think that's the one of my messages that I want to get to people because I'm very passionate about it is um, I've spent a lifetime in finance. So first I, I was had a trading company. Well, first I worked for a company as a trader and then I left and I set up my own trading company and now I've been working in real estate. And I've been very lucky um, talking talk about parental influence. My dad always, when I was a kid, he had me working with him and I equated you know, effort and hard work with money. And he would always tell me, he said, you know, you can, you can make money and you can spend it and buy something you want or I'll help you invest it and you'll make more down the road. So if my dad had me investing in the stock market when I was you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. So I've been investing in things and I've, I've seen delayed gratification um, wow. can make you more since, since I was a kid. And so that's the thing is, I think it's, we live, that example you gave about you know a fireman that can't afford to, to buy the place he wants. We're in a really, it's, it's sad because it, it's, it's not good that we live in an age where if you're great at your job, whether you're a fireman, whether you're a dentist, wh- whatever job you do, if it's not finance related, you're at a disadvantage if you don't know how to combat inflation, how to invest correctly. And it sucks because you should, we shouldn't live in a world where you have to deal with you know, crazy inflation. And if you're not on the property, like if, if you're living in California and you, you weren't on the property ladder, say mm-hmm. your parents weren't on the property ladder and they didn't leave you some inheritance or something, I don't know how you'd ever get on because the prices are so high. How do you ever get started? And so the best thing that I'll, the best advice I'll say is, unfortunately, you do have to invest a bit of time and you have to learn basic fundamentals on finance, whether it's listening to podcasts and things like that. I think there's a lot of great information out there. So firstly, invest a bit of time listening to people talking about this stuff. And then the, the simplest thing. Are, I would say, are there any people that you have in mind? Um, that's actually a tough one because a lot of the, because that's kind of my background. I'm not too fascinated about trying to learn more, but mm. I, I guess, um, in, I guess, we the almanac of Navel Ravikant mm. we were just talking about you have that on the side here and yeah. it's one of my favorite books he has some great things about money but that's a bit more of a philosophy perspective um, I think I would just say this of all the things you can you can invest your money in there's certain things that are always gonna they're gonna go up with inflation so obviously real estate is an easy one because the, the price it costs to build a house, the materials, whether it's the lumber or the concrete or anything, as they go up, as, as they get inflated, obviously the price of the property has to go up too, otherwise builders wouldn't build. So so property is a, is a natural inflation hedge. And in the 70s, which is the last time we saw this really high inflation we're seeing now, real estate went up, I think, 300% in the decade of the 70s, whereas the, the stock market only went up 40%. So that was a decade where real estate massively outperformed the stock market. And I think that was probably the last decade where that happened. Um, and we're kind of in that same environment. But if you can't, so you can't, you can't buy real estate because it's out of reach. There's other assets that will still do well with inflation. Um, so, I mean, having, having, having a, either an ETF, like some kind of S&P fund mm. stock, stock um, investment, I think will do well. Um, and I'm a big, it, it's a weird time to be talking about it because um, the, Bitcoin and crypto market is kind of in, in a bad place right now. But I still think historically, I think there's a lot of value to a lot of the the minor crypto coins. And again, this isn't a trading advice podcast, but a lot of the small coins, most of them, I think, are going to go to zero. They're going to be worthless. Mm-hmm. They're kind of these they're almost like these random startups where mm-hmm. very few succeed and the ones that do do really well. Um, but Bitcoin, as as 
aside from all the others, aside from Ethereum and Cardano and Solano and all these other coins, Bitcoin does have some some value in the sense that the the principle behind it is it's a fixed supply and there's enough people like a Ray Dalio or these people that manage billions of dollars where they see utility in having something that is outside governmental control. There's no inflation. It's It's got a very fixed supply. Again, back to that supply and demand equation of real estate, that fixed supply, I think you're going to do very well in the next. And, and the way I look is five years minimum. So whenever I look at investments, I'm not good at short term planning because i don't think anyone can predict the next few months like but i'm pretty certain that in five years mm. real estate will be higher than it is today and um bitcoin will be higher and i think the stock market will probably be higher too so any anything i think anything you any asset so that, that's the difference between um like like the some of the old air-cooled porsches have done really well they've appreciated so much um, because they're an asset they're they they're made of things that if you try to remake them today, that the the components have gone up with inflation. So almost anything that you can buy, like watches is a good example. There's yeah. some watches that have done very well. So these things, precious art, I guess precious art has outperformed anything over the last few years. It's, it's done better than almost any any asset. So it's, it's, it's buying things that um, you think are going to retain value versus spending your money today. So I think any anything you can do to... You just what you don't want to do is you don't want to scrimp and save and be miserable and just save in cash for years and hope for the cash is going to you're going to save enough to say buy a property because the price of the property is going to outperform and the cash is going to every month inflation is eating away at it so yeah. it, it becomes a very tricky equation. And it, I, I know you, you've said this before like you enjoy spending money, yes, right? So like it's balancing opportunity costs in an, in an investment vehicle versus enjoying yourself. 100%. But I think I, I, love, I love spending money. And listen, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm blessed. You know, I've done pretty well the last few years. But my finances have been in a cycle. So when I first moved here, I had absolutely nothing. And I was working really hard for a company. And actually my first year trading, I was trading um, the five-year bond derivatives. And I made them way, I think it was over a million dollars My made my company. And they gave me, I think they gave me a $50,000 bonus. Now, for a young kid, 50000 is a lot of money. But the way I looked at it was I made over a million. I think I made probably like one and a half million that year. So most traders I was with, they were like, Lawrence, you realize we're on a 50-50 split? So if we made a million dollars, we'll get a $500,000 check. Your company is giving you, you know, a 3%. They're giving you 3% of what you make and they're, and they're keeping it all for yourself. So I was like, well, that doesn't sound very good. So then I left and I set up my own trading company. So I think um, it, I'm blessed now because I've, I've done very well. But since that time I left, I was 24 and I just, I'm about to turn 44. In those 20 years, I've had huge fluctuations in my income. And I've had some years where when I, my last year trading, I worked all year, I was very stressed and I lost money. And that's a horrible, like that's such a, that's to get your head around that. I remember thinking, I was single at the time. I remember thinking I could have gone to Australia and I could have been on beaches, chasing chasing women, having a great time and spending money. And I would have done better financially than staying in Chicago, being stressed all year, tr- trading and, and having bad positions losing money. So that, that's, that's a weird one to get your head around. But during that whole time, the one theme I'll say is that anytime you spend money on experiences rather than possessions, that tends to be a really good way to spend your money. Um, and if you can somehow build your life where you get in the habit of whatever it is, whether it's 5%, whether it's 15%, whatever you're making, you, you set aside a certain amount and you say that I'm going to invest this in some kind of asset. 
and I'm going to hope for it to grow. And, uh, and you, ha- you start that young, then you give yourself time to make a lot of money over time. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you, the problem a lot of people have, and I've got friends like this that are my age in their 40s, they, they make three times more than they made 15 years ago, but their expenses have gone up three times. So they haven't gone anywhere. And the, the reason I did very well is in my 20s, when I was making a lot of money trading, my, my life my life's was the same. I bought my condo with my first bonus and I stayed in that condo for 15 years. Of course, I could have, I even had an ex-girlfriend tell me, um, she was like, how come your business partner is buying this fancy new place and you, you're still in the same place? And I remember thinking, well, I don't need any more. Like, what, you know, why am I trying to, I don't need to live above, not even above my means. I don't even have to live at my means because I don't need anything. I'm a single guy. I've mm-hmm. got a one bedroom condo. What more do I need? So mm-hmm. I think too many people try to, they're trying to buy a fancy car. Like in, in Europe, we don't have this. In Europe, it's very much, there's a lot less things financed. Normally you save and then you buy a car in Europe. Whereas in America, they, they want to, you know, you, you have these young kids that haven't even, their brains not even developed yet. They don't have the, the responsibility. They get in crazy credit card debt and they're stuck with that for years. It's really tragic. So I think just having that when you're young, trying to set, and even if you're not young, even if you're 50, by, by saying from now on, whatever I make, I'm going to invest a portion in some kind of asset, whatever you're, whatever you're comfy with. If, if you're young and, you're, and you believe in Bitcoin, you think it's the future and you have crazy appetite for risk, then yeah, go for it. If you're old, older and you've got a family and you've got more responsibilities, you probably want to be a bit more, um, a bit more defensive with your investments, um, a bit safer. Um, but even now, like, to be completely honest, is, I'm, I work in real estate. I believe in real estate. Is it the best time to buy right now? I don't think prices are necessarily going to have a big correction. But locking in an interest rate at these at these rates, I don't think is great. You know? mm. So, for instance, I'm actually moving. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to get a loan. I'm, I'm hopefully going to get approved next week. I'm buying a place in Indiana for the family. I'm not going to move there straight away. I'm going to close on the property and then we're going to do some rehabs and I'm going to hopefully move in the spring. Now, I'm not buying that. Normally, I would always try to buy with a fixed mortgage, you know, fixed 30-year rate because then I know my expenses are not going to go up anymore. But because this environment is different, I don't want to fix a rate for 30 years at these crazy high rates. Mm. So what I'm doing is there's a, a new loan that I just found out about a few weeks ago. And you only you have a three-year arm. And I, normally, I would never buy a three-year arm because you're opening yourself to risk. Like in three years, interest rates could be, they could be higher and you're going to get screwed. But just because of the environment we're in, because rates have gone up so much, I feel very confident that in the, within the next three years, I think within the next 18 months, personally, or maybe even 12 months, interest rates are going to be significantly lower again. They're going to go back down. So that three years, I feel comfy with that buffer to buy a place with a three-year arm. And that gives me three years. At some point, I'm going to refinance it. So I think that's, that's the thing with this investments is you've got to find things that you're comfy with. Now, that same product I wouldn't have been comfy with nine months ago because rates were so low. So that's, it's one of those things where, and it's frustrating because you can't just give advice. If I give advice today on exactly what I believe and someone listens to this in three months, it probably wouldn't apply so much. You mm-hmm. know? So, so it's, it's endlessly frustrating and endlessly fascinating that it's such a dynamic marketplace and, and we're living through a period where we had a, 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 a decade almost before COVID where things were very stable. And the last few years, there's been so much volatility. I don't know if you follow the stock market, but do you remember when, when COVID hit and the world shut down? Things crashed. Things crashed. And I was the one saying at the time, um, I was the one, well, one I was saying that we're going to have some bad inflation soon because of the government policies, which sadly I was correct on we're seeing. But the other thing is, I thought it would be a V-shaped recovery, meaning it goes down pretty quick and then it will recover at some point and it'll make like a V in the graph. 
I didn't realize, so I was having that thought, but I didn't think it, it recovered almost instantaneously. It was mm-hmm. back straight up. And that's because the stock market is not about what's happening today. It's about the perception of the future reality. Mm-hmm. And so people were very optimistic looking forward, partly because of all this government um, in, inflating the money supply and that money had to go somewhere so it went into stocks. Um, but like, like I said, so I had, a, I had my educated opinions of what happened, but I could never see the stock market recovering so quick. I was shocked, you know. So, which, which is a lesson, and I think you talked about this with Jay Velko, is just like how cash solvent you should be for yes, things like this. Exactly. Opportunities. Opportunities. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point, Victor. So what I said earlier is if you save money and you have cash in the bank, you're losing purchasing power every month with inflation. That's the negative. But the one thing you do have when you have cash is you have opportunity. So if you're sitting on cash, you're losing a little bit through inflation, yes. But at any time there's some crazy, something crazy happens, you have cash to invest. Because I remember when um, 2009, I think it was, when there was, they were talking about pretty much the financial system collapsing. And I remember Citibank stock went to a dollar or 97 cents or something. And I remember looking at my trades. This is when I was still trading. And I remember looking at my trading account and I was like, this is such a buy. I don't think they're going to let Citibank go under. And I had no money, but I had no cash to invest. But I had some stocks that were already, they had gone down a whole bunch and I just closed my eyes and I sold them. And I put that cash in, in Citibank and I remember I sold it at $3. I think it went up to like 20 or something. I sold it way too early, but I tripled, I tripled my money, but I didn't have any money. I had to sell assets at the low point in order to invest in that. That's a good example. I remember when that happened thinking, God, it, when, when you have crazy times, cash is king because it just gives you so much opportunity. Because mm-hmm. there's that old expression, you always want to buy buy stocks when there's blood in the streets, meaning all the bad news is out there. Everyone's yeah, terrified. Everyone's freaking That's out. when you yeah. want to buy. You don't want to buy when times are good because you kind of missed the boat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm sure that takes a lot of time and experience to stay level-headed through through chaos. Yeah, I think that having well, I think that comes back to having that long term mindset, Victor. Yeah. Where you you when when everyone when you everyone's fearful and no one knows what's going on, and one person says one thing and then the other person says the complete opposite, and people are fighting on CNBC, and you just you're, you're so confused. There's certain principles that you can you can look at, and as long as you have a, a long term time horizon, I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so going back to a broker, so let's let's with the audience in mind, let's have uh, think about someone who's listening who is trying to become a broker. Okay. Um, and uh, where where does one start? Because you see groups of brokers that have partnered with maybe loan officers and bro- other types of brokers that focus on residential versus commercial. So where does one start? They get their license. Where do they start? Great question, because I'm actually doing this with Indiana. I'm trying to get my Indiana license mm. as I'm moving. I'm going to try to start growing my business in Indiana. So the very first step is you just got to get your license. Once you have your license, you're basically an independent contractor. So you have to find a company where you hang your license, basically, and they're going to be your sponsoring broker. And so the first thing is get your license and then decide what kind of environment you want to work in. Mm. So some companies, these these bigger, like a Berkshire Hathaway, they have offices all over the country. They, they have something that my company doesn't have. They have this much more global network. They have a lot more, um, I would say, they have a lot less flexibility. And I, I work for, a, my, my friend owns my real estate company in Chicago, Main Street Real Estate. Shout out to my buddy Mo. Um, he's one of my oldest friends and I'm the, I'm the top broker there. So I get a lot of freedom and flexibility because um, I can kind of do what I want in the sense that they're not gonna, they know that I'm gonna I'm bringing business and they trust me. So I have so much flexibility and, and freedom that I wouldn't have at these other companies. Mm. So you have to find a company where they're going to have the same kind of the, the, the kind of 
um, guidance and restrictions that you're happy with. So that's the first thing is, do you want to be with a big company that has, they probably have more, um, they have a bigger network, so that's the positive. Are they better places to learn from it when you first start? That's a great, that's the, the next thing I was going to say is, you need a mentor. So um, the selling point of my friend Mo owns the company is, he's, he's a small company, it's, it's one, one office, 60 brokers I think it is. You can, you can get him on the phone or you can schedule a meeting with him where he can walk you through. Because as a new agent, don't think about the money you're going to earn down the road. You've got to think about skill development. And I think the biggest mistake is people that have been in the business three, four, five years, and they never really took the, they, they were always about, like, I'm going to try and get a commission and try and get a sale. But they never spent the time learning how to be a good agent. Mm. And I remember my first year as a broker was so depressing. I made so little money that I remember thinking at the end of the year, I could have made in one day trading in the pit what I made in a year of being a broker, hustling my out, like running around the city. But I didn't care because that first year I wasn't trying to make money. What I was trying to do is get as much business that would keep me busy so I would meet as many people. I would learn the city back to front. I would learn the business back to front. I would just be busy because I figured by being busy was the best way to learn. So I would say the best advice is if you're doing something else and you want to get your real estate license, don't quit your job when you get your license. Mm, mm. Keep what you're doing so you're not reliant on money and give yourself six to 12 months of just learning and trying to get as much, trying to find a mentor. Like if someone came to me and they said, the problem is people, and you might get this a lot, Victor, or you might not, I'm not sure, but in real estate, one thing I get is every day, multiple times a week, um, and normally a couple of times a day, I'll get people reaching out, whether it's a, a lender or an inspector or um, another broker who's new. And they're always like, they want something from you. Like, hey, can we meet for an hour? I'll buy you coffee and I want to, you know, pick your brains. But as a busy guy, as you know, we're being pulled in so many different directions. I physically don't have time for that. Whereas if someone said to me, if a new agent said to me, hey, listen, Lawrence, I want to join your company and I'll, I'll be a, a team member for you. And you can pay me whatever you want. But for six months, I'm going to do a bunch of stuff you don't want to do. I'm going to run around the city, pick up keys, meet appraisers, do all this stuff for you. In return, can you teach me you know, how to be a, a top agent? That would be something where I would be very open to that. So that's basically what you want to do as a new agent is you want to find somebody who's, very, who's at a stage of success and, and, and reputation. They've got enough experience. And people like that typically don't have time. Like they're already, time is already a limited asset. So give them something of value of value exactly and i think yeah. that's the biggest mistake is i've never once solicited business by sending someone a message and being like hey you know can you use me to buy a property like i just that's not my personality and i don't like that but i get that all the time with people asking something for me without giving anything in return and i think it's a great lesson in life is is people like me and you we are willing to help but when you're very busy like i have a two-year-old son am i going to take time away from my son to help someone that I don't know who's offering me nothing in return. Well, I'd have to be pretty stupid to do that, right? But if we can we can make a win-win partnership, then of course I'll help. And so there's actually, um, there's a wonderful um, lady, Priscilla, who she has a finance background. She's, she's helping my wife with my son um, in the mornings. And she's kind of, she was, I think she's not quite finished her degree. She moved from California. I'm not quite sure the exact details of her background. She's such a smart lady, such a wonderful person, loves kids, and she's, and she's very young, I think she's 21. And I'm, t I'm trying to tell my wife, like, listen, I want to have a conversation with her because she's got this finance background. We don't pay her very much. You know, I don't know how much they make for baby, my wife handles that, but she's not obviously making, making a fortune looking after my son. 
I would love to. She's such a got such a good personality. She's very smart. She's such a nice person. I love her energy. I would like. She's expressed interest in real estate. I would love to help her in real estate. But we just have to figure out how it's going to be a win-win for both of us. So hopefully we're going to get coffee and kind of have that conversation. But I think that's the key. Is I've been very blessed with mentors and the owner of my real estate company. He used to live in the same building, so we were friends before we worked together. And so he and I both had dogs, and we would just take our dogs mm. at night for a walk, and we, I would pick his brains every night, you know, five, five, six nights a week for 18 months. How much did I learn in those conversations? He wasn't, we were just, it, it's not like every time we just talked about real estate, we talked about life and everything. But during those times, I would pick his brains and I would learn so much. And looking back, I was so blessed to have that man. I still say he's my real estate mentor. Even though we don't see each other as much now, we live very different places. But that's what you need to find is, and that, that applies to a new broker in real estate, but it applies to anyone in life. Like if, if I, if I'm say I'm an aspiring MMA fighter and I'm, I join a gym and I've had two amateur fights and I want to fight in the UFC and I want to be a professional fighter, if I start bugging um, you know, one of the top fighters to help me, he's already got so much going on. But if after one of his fights, when he's got some downtime, you, you go to him and you say, hey, listen, anytime you need a body to drill moves or anything, I'm here for you. And you can just beat me up a little bit and I'll give you whatever I can. Then maybe over time you can develop a relationship, and he's going to help you and, and save years of things that he's learned the hard way over years and years of his of his journey. He's going to save that time and, and show you. But you have to you can't just go up to a busy guy like that. He's you know you you got to use common sense. And I think too many people now reach out to people they don't know and they just, just asking asking yeah asking. yeah and it's a, yeah. it's something I'm a nice guy take, and that's, take take and we talked about this a bit off air Victor about us both learning how to say no. I think that's one of the biggest challenges that I get is that. I am a nice guy and I do want to help. And for years I've done stuff where it, it is a bit frustrating. Like the other day I was a little frustrated with somebody because he basically reached out to me as a investor to buy a building. And he was asking about one of my listings or something. And he's like, can we talk about it over coffee? And I normally don't do coffee dates because I just don't have time, but I was coming home and I, I said, okay, I'll meet you here. We get coffee, we sit down. He's like, okay, so Lawrence, I'm a broker and I just got my license and I want to do what you're doing. And, and he's, I'm just like, this wasn't the purpose of the conversation. Yes. I was a little frustrated, <laughs> but you know what? I bit my tongue and I was like, listen, I'm here now. You know, don't be a baby. Mm. So I gave him best advice and for, for an hour we sat there and I got home, but I just remember being a bit frustrated after. Just be, be upfront with people, you know, like it's, it's something that's so interesting now. I'm a bit older is looking back at my life. I never noticed this before, but um, as you get older, I think I just think naturally through the evolution of life, whether it's through um, career promotions, whether it's through um, moving maybe to the suburbs so your commute's longer, whether it's having a family so you have kids and a wife responsibilities. As you get older, it does tend to be you have much more free time when you're young. And as you get older, time becomes a more and more and more scarce commodity. But one thing I've noticed is a lot of very successful people, the arc of their career towards the end of their career, a lot of them, and I read that there's a great book called Real Estate Titans that talked about, it was about 25 short chapters on all these incredibly successful like multi multi-millionaires through real estate development and um, almost every single one of them at the end were talking about their career arc and the the end of the arc was giving back and being a mentor mm -hmm. um, so for me now I'm not quite at that stage now I'm still trying to grow and build and expand and and uh, provide but at the end that's something I do want to get much more into is is giving back and being a mentor so it, back to your early example maybe I'm not the best person I'm in my early 40s um, and I, did, I didn't get into real estate till I was 35. So it, somebody that's been in real estate and they're kind of coming up close to retirement, 
they're going to want someone who's new, who's hungry, who who's going to take over their business. And you can you can arrange like a really good mutual benefit with them where you say, listen, I'll do most of your legwork because you're kind of at the end of your career. You don't want to be running around. You know, I'll do all your open houses all weekend. I'll do all this stuff for you in exchange. You know, maybe you can give me some of your clients you don't want. Maybe you can give me, you know, you can just teach me on the side. Give me tips. You can be a reference for some of the course. I think throughout life, you can always develop these win-win scenarios. And I'll give you to bring it back kind of full circle, Victor. You want to invest in real estate, but you just say not you. Say somebody wants to invest in real estate, but they don't have much money, but they have time and they're hungry. If they they can have a partnership, maybe they have a friend who's very wealthy, but he has no time. He has three kids. He's losing his mind. He's stressed at work, but he's got all this money. And they can say, listen, if we buy a building together, I'll put in 5% of the down payment so I have ownership and skin in the game. You put in 95%. We'll set up an LLC. We'll be partners. And we'll arrange something between us where I'll literally do everything for you. I'll find you tenants. I'll do mm. all, I'll pay all the bills. I'll do all the maintenance. I'll do everything for you in exchange for, instead of me, I'll put in 5% down payment, but you give me 20% of equity or 50, something like that. So, there, and that's one thing in my life that I think I've done well is I've always developed win-win relationships with people. To be able to think outside the box. Yes, exactly. Be creative. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what you just said is like a lesson in apprenticeship, and I don't think a lot of people look look at like life like that um, as like what can you bring to the table, and maybe they they do try to think of like what can I bring to the table, and maybe they think they don't have anything of value and that, and that, that they, they it, could bring. But if they have nothing of value because they're new in a field, what they have they don't time, know. right? Yes, that's exactly. what they have. Yeah, and I think that's the I think that's the secret is that we all have something, and even if you don't know what it is, then you. you if you can follow, so we'll use real estate as an example because I'm familiar with it. When I started, I didn't know what I wanted to focus on. I didn't really know real estate. And my good friend Mo, we're at the dog park, and he was like, Lawrence, with your accent and your background in finance, you'd kill it in real estate. You should give it a go. And wait, he, wait, wait, why is that? <laughs> oh, with the accent? I think, this, I, I, think, I, th- I think he just thought I'd be charming with people. Little, oh, okay. Little, Which little, you are. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you, Victor. But little did he know that I'm actually, I remember my first showing, it was, it was, I just, I'm not a naturally extroverted person. Okay. So I remember I walked in this apartment. Actually, a funny story. My first showing, I got my license, but I hadn't got my business cards yet. And I was going to a building. When you go to these managed buildings, you have to show your business card. And I remember my ex-girlfriend at the time, she was in real estate. She's like, she's like, ah, screw that. You don't need business cards. I'm going to make you a fake one. So she made me this one on the computer. Just It was literally just to get in this building. So I think my business cards were coming like two days later or something. And I remember being so nervous because this business card looks so <laughs> fake. So I walk up to the door and I'm like, hey, I'm showing this building. He's like, oh, business card. I showed it. He, gave, he looked at it. He looked at me. He looked at it. He looked at me. He's like... You could tell him thinking this looks. <laughs> this doesn't even look. He's like, go ahead. So uh, and then I, I remember going in. I turned the lights off on and I st- just stood there and they kind of walked around the apartment and then we left. I, I didn't say anything. I just felt the whole thing felt so awkward. And I, was, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what I was doing. So it's, it's so funny looking back. Um, oh God, back to that. Um, but no. So later on, so that that was when I started real estate. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then over time, that first year when I was running all over the city, I realized that I had something that most brokers didn't know, and that was a background in finance. So the perfect, and I also, I owned an investment property myself. So I got into real estate as an investor before I got my license. So then I thought, well, what's the natural thing for me to focus on? What's well, obviously investors, because that's what I have. I, I own real estate. I have a finance background, and I find that much more interesting than selling single-family homes in Winneka or something like that. So that was naturally where I, it took me a while to figure that out. And then once I figured that out, that became my niche. So I, I would advise, and this this applies, I think, to real estate very much, and I'm sure it applies to so many different things, is 
it's going to take you time. We use real estate as an example, and then I'm, I'll see if I can figure this out to life. But if you use real estate as an example, what are you passionate about? So I've got a good friend, um, my buddy John, who's very charming. He's been in Chicago his whole life. He knows lots of people. And he loves, he's very suave and smooth talking. He loves like going to, to fancy dinners and going to nice new bars. And so he's very much in the scene. So for him, trying to market himself as a luxury downtown, like luxury condos, I mean, that's perfect for him. So it's, it's trying to find what you're interested in and what you'll be good at. And then you find your niche in real estate. Because the problem is, Almost everyone in Chicago that has a wide circle will know three or four brokers. But um, you're going to refer, like people will refer me because if, if they have a friend that says, I really want to buy an investment property, they're not going to think about those other five brokers they know. They're going to think about me because that's what I put, that's what I, that's what I do. 80% of my business is, mm. is, is multiness. So that's an easy association in their brain is, you know what, call my friend Lawrence, he's helped you. And I already have the relationships with some builders. So half my inventory I sell never hits the market. I have something that's going to be finished in two months. I know someone is looking for exactly this building. You can work out, again, talking about win-win relationships. The builder will take a slight reduction in price to get it pre-sold because he doesn't lose time on marketing. And the buyer will buy it before it's finished because he's going to get a slightly better price and he knows that it's what he wants and he's not going to have a bidding war. So you you kind of make those win-win scenarios. So I think in life, it's the same thing where you have to find out, if you don't know what you're doing with your career, you have to find out how you can get um, the things that you're good at tends to be the things you're also fairly interested in and trying to find a way how to monetize that. And mm -hmm. that's not always easy. And I'll use the example of jiu-jitsu. When the Gracies first moved to California, no one knew what Brazilian jiu-jitsu was. And Hori and Gracie, I think, was teaching out of a garage. Now, all those early Gracies are multimillionaires and they've, there's jiu-jitsu all over the world. They've done an incredible job. But when they moved here, there was no money in it. They didn't know how they would monetize it, but they knew they had a skill that was great and they had to put themselves out there and market it. And I think for a lot of people, that's talking, we talked a bit um, when we were chatting before about imposter syndrome. I never used to think I have it. I had it, but of course I had it. Like every, almost everyone has it. Everyone has some type of imposter syndrome. And um, it's, it's trying to figure out what you enjoy doing, what you're good at, and then trying to overcome imposter syndrome to figure out how you can monetize that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, these are not easy questions, but that's the, that's what people should be, especially younger people that are trying to figure out what they're going to do. Because I was never one of those guys where, you know, you, an eight year old kid that says, I want to be a fireman or a 10 year old, I want to be a yeah. doctor. They just know. I had no clue. And, and I had no clue when I was 35 and I had my last MMA, professional MMA fight. And I was kind of done with trading. I didn't think my business model worked anymore. And I was thinking, what the hell am I going to do? And I remember being kind of down about it, thinking, geez, I'm, I felt pretty lost, you know. So I think it's, it's a blessing and a curse because the people that have that vision and they're like, I know I want to be a doctor. I'm going to go through 10 years of, you know, medical school, residency and everything. And then I'm going to be a surgeon. And I'm going to have a really good life. They're kind of stuck on that career path early on and they stick with it and they, they tend to do very well financially. But a lot of us don't have that. We don't really know. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think there's pros and cons. There's pros and cons to that those surgeons. Yeah, blank they, canvas. Yes, yeah. they do very well because they have that vision. They put the time in. But you, you and I, we both do many things. We both have podcasts. We both have many different interests and many different ventures we're doing. And I think that's the secret to a rich life is that you're, you're trying to figure it out as you go. And if we can embrace the chaos and just figure out how best to balance enjoying what we're doing with making enough money to live the life we want to live. And these are not easy questions, but I think that's the recipe to a good life. What specifically about real estate uh, do you do you like or love about it? Um, I think there's there's a there's a great 
there's a great book I remember reading in 2006 on vacation to the Dominican Republic. And I was with a, I was in a bad relationship. We broke up right after, but during the trip, I remember having such a good time because I was so engrossed in this book. And it was by Martin Seligman and it was called mm. Authentic Happiness. Okay. And he talked about what makes a good life. And he said, we all have these things. They're called, he calls them signature strengths. And they're basically things within us that we're good at. So if you can combine your signature strengths with also serving a bigger purpose. So if my signature strengths are being an assassin and I'm killing people, that's probably not the best recipe for happiness because you're not really serving a good purpose. But if your signature strength is, is being a real badass and you join the Navy SEALs and, you're, and you're, you're killing very bad people, then maybe you can see that that's, that, that's kind of a, a good line of work for you. That's kind of a, that's a different conversation. But I guess my point is, if you combine the things you're good at, and I don't know why that popped in my mind. I think I was, I was listening to a podcast with two Navy SEALs, that's why. Um, I think if you can combine the things you're good at with trying to serve, serve a bigger purpose. Yeah. So when I was trading, I really enjoyed trading because I, I love numbers. And I really enjoyed the, I enjoyed that every day I was in that trading pit, it was complete chaos and pandemonium. And I had to somehow figure out a strategy to deal with it and trade. But I also knew without derivative traders, we serve a huge purpose is we, 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 we provide people that need to protect against interest rates fluctuations. They can trade, they use options as insurance. Just like if you're a farmer, you use options on grains to protect you from a drought or something, or no, a drought, your, your prices will go up. An, an overflux of grain where the prices collapses, you can buy certain options to protect you. So there's a huge, in the global market, there's a huge value for options. You're providing a service to people as insurance. That's what options are, to protect you. So I always felt, I didn't feel like I was, I wasn't a scumbag. I was an honorable trader. I wasn't trying to, to steal money from people. I was providing a service that I also enjoyed intellectually. So it's the same with real estate in the mm. sense that um, there's nothing better than helping someone buy their first home because it's, it's not typically the home is the biggest purchase you're going to have. It's where you come home at the end of the day. It's, it's a very special, it's, it's a special place for most people where they live. And so um, there's that satisfaction of helping them. Um, that's a, a part of it, but most of my business is the investment side, and that's my passion of trying to help people protect themselves from the world we live in. And we live in a world where, um, that in if you look at the price of things in the 1930s or the 1940s, of course, this is a long time ago, but it's only a couple of generations ago, and you'll see how crazy inflation is. I mean, you know, the the rent in New York was $25 or mm. something like that to but to rent a con a, a, a place to live. So it we're we're in a scenario where if I can play a little part, whether it's talking to you on podcast, whether it's um helping people invest their money and protect themselves against inflation, that makes me feel good. I want to spread the message that real estate is not the only asset, but it's something to think about and it's it's um it's one of the ways that you can protect yourself against this um this environment which i think is going to continue where we're always going to have some type of inflation so it's on us like there's nothing sadder than someone that trusts in the system and they they do their nine to five and they yeah. punch the clock for decades decent human beings yes right. and they don't know any better and then they get to retirement and suddenly they can't afford they can't afford to live and then, and then that's tragic that i i know my my wife's got um some older relatives who work night shifts in their in their you know, late 60s, mm -hmm. early 70s, they work in 12-hour night shifts and they're barely paying the bills. And that's really sad. So it, anything that I can do to try to spread the financial knowledge of mm. put a bit of time in now, it's like that um, anything we can do now that will pay dividends in the future, but the time is going to multiply it. 
So that the beautiful book by James Clear called Atomic Habits, one thing he says is um, you've got to make time work for yourself. Mm. So if you take off in LA and you're flying towards uh, Boston, all you've got to do is change the nose of the plane a couple of degrees and then you're going to end up in New York. But it's going to take you six hours. So that tiny change over time is amplified. And I think that's the, that's with everything, with health. Like a lot of people would, in the trading pit, I used to bring my own lunches because I was, I was boxing at the time. And I was making weight for boxing fights and I was very strict with my diet. And I used to bring my lunch to, to work and, and they would see me come out the pit. When I, when I was trading, not so much, but when I first moved in, I was a trainee. The guys would be like, what are you doing? The old traders, they're always hazed the trainees. Like, what the hell are you eating? Rabbit food? They would say all this stuff. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, I won the golden gloves and they all shut up. There's a reason why you do certain things. So how much do you want to, and this, this applies to everything. How much do you want to sacrifice today to live the kind of dream life you want in the future? And I think I've always had that mindset. I, I really think I bring it back to my dad. I'm so grateful. Thank you, dad, um, for just giving me that as a kid is, is the... Um, the sacrifice today to to pay dividends in the future. I think that can apply to your health. It can apply to finances. It can apply relationships, to relationships. Relationships, right? yeah. Well, I mean, listen, your congratulations on the engagement. Oh, thanks, um, buddy. It, it, it's one of those things where too many people think that if they can just, I've got single friends that think, if I can just meet the right woman, I'll be done. But as you and I know, relationships, like whether it's with your fiance, your girlfriend, your wife, or even your friends, if you've got a really good friend that you see all the time and you hang out, and then you blow him off for a, for a couple of months, he's probably not going to like you as much. You know, like you've got to be, a, you've, it, everything is a two-way street, whether mm-hmm. it's relationships or friendships. Mm-hmm. And I think um, invest the, invest the uh, limited time in the relationships you want to, to nourish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what else to, to ask about, even as like brokers. Um, so being a broker is great. Like, the, the, I guess if you wanted to, form your own team are you still under main street or you're under the dunning group 100 that's a great question so the way it works is as an independent contractor i'm under main street because i don't want to get um they offer me a few things so they have this managing broker's license which is another exam i would have to take that i don't really want to deal with also that i have their full support whether it's the back office um i have someone that does all my paperwork there i have people that help with my marketing so i have that whole team so i'm happy to give them a percentage of my income for that support. If I wanted to go, so I can have a team within within a brokerage and that's what you're gonna see. So the number two agent in Chicago is called Matt Laracy and he's under it, he, he has a team and you know, it's a huge team, maybe 12 people. They've, they sell you know, 200 million a year or something mm-hmm. crazy, huge numbers. But they're, even they, they are still under a team. I think it's TD Ameritrade. So um, that's a, that's a, something like that, I forget the name, but they're under a brokerage themselves. Yeah. So, if you, so ideally, I guess, if you wanna get into real estate, what you probably, not a bad idea to do, and I've never done this, but I just know a lot of people do it, is you start off and you join the team of a very successful person. And then you hope that if you work hard for them, they're going to um, teach you and you're gonna learn a lot through working with them how to go. And, and that's a lot of time, that's the hardest thing with growing a team is the person that you want to work for you is not gonna to wanna to work for you for long. They're gonna to wanna to work for you until they learn enough and then they're gonna to wanna to go off on their own. Whereas the yeah. people that are gonna to wanna to work with for you forever that have no aspirations, you probably don't want them. <laughs> yeah, yes and no. I mean, there, there are people that are like A players and B players and people that thrive in working not as a, because it, it takes a lot. It, you, it's a rare, it's a, it's a specific breed to be an entrepreneur and not everyone's bred for that. That's right? true. So there yes. are people that who's, who thrives in serving rather than 
being more of a leader. That's actually very true. And this, and some people, they just don't, everything's a trade-off, right? They just don't want that. They'd much rather take um, less ownership for more yeah, security. Yeah, we said earlier on the like running your own business is like the, one of the, the most stressful things, mm-hmm. right? But um, yeah, it like, and it's also a two-way street of like, what can you, the value you provide for each other. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I think um, be it just... If anyone, because I, I do get this a lot, I get a lot of random people who I never think would, would want to get into real estate. I don't, I don't know why, I guess. just they, I guess they just do something completely different. And they'll send me a message and they'll be like, hey, I'm thinking about getting into real estate. What do you think? I guess for those kind of people, I would think if you're asking such a general question and you're asking for advice, then it's probably not for you. You want, you want to already have the opinion. The question should be, I got my license. I want to be a top agent what do you think would be the next step for me? Do you see what I'm saying? Just yeah. a, a different phrasing of the question. That would probably be, as opposed to um, someone being watching the UFC and thinking, oh, that, that looks kind of cool. Um, I wouldn't mind being a professional fighter. That's very different from someone that's like, hey, I wrestled for 15 years and I have a really good background and I think I might give this a shot. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? It's like yeah. the same question, but just a, a, different, a different approach to, to, to starting. So then what, what makes a great broker versus a what separates a great broker from a good broker i I think it comes down to what value do you provide Mm -hmm. because we all that you know there's i think there's forty five thousand licensed illinois brokers something crazy and i remember when i heard that number thinking why am i getting my this is seven years ago why am i getting my license that i'm just there's there's so many that the market's saturated Mm. that that was my um previous mindset um which is not that an abundance growth mindset which is what i have now where there's enough business for you regardless of if there's ten thousand brokers yeah. or a hundred thousand yeah. is if you you have to just do better though yeah so you have to provide more value and coming back to what we said earlier is i think you have to have a niche so by having a niche in your niche you're naturally going to provide way more value than someone that's does not a niche but i actually think the the biggest thing with real estate is i think it's relationships and um Chicago's a, a small big city, Victor. I'm sure you really well. I'll tell you this. So, I have a client, bless him, I love him to death, but he's very difficult. And we're in the middle of a deal right now. He's buying a, a new construction building, and um, we got into it a bit because he's very he's very successful. He's a doctor, very very wealthy, owns a bunch of buildings, but he's incredibly um, when it comes to business negotiations, he's very contentious and aggressive. And he burns a bridge with one of my past lenders by by kind of asking him for being rude and, and then he missed some payments and he got denied a loan. He, he's one of those guys where he has lots of money, but he's very busy. So he had one of his one of his um, buildings, he missed a few mortgage payments and then he tried to blame the lender even though it was completely his fault. Mm. So he burns this bridge with the lender. Then I find him this new lender that I'm actually using for my purchase because he has this three-year arm product, which mm. is, it's a godsend in this environment, this, this product. So some lenders have certain products and others don't? Exactly, yes. Jesus. It's very confusing. <laughs> so this so this product that I'm talking about, with the, anyone that's listening, any brokers, um, this is great advice for you. It's Federal Savings Bank, and it has a loan for investors that instead of putting down 25%, you normally have to, you only put down 15 and it's a three-year arm at about 5.5%, whereas investors are paying 7.5%. So it's this incredible product. So I find this loan, I introduced the doctor to my lender, and he basically said he, he, he was kind of disingenuous with how much he made and his returns. So this lender approved him based on what he said. Then when he got his taxes, because his accountant, correctly so, writes off so much, it looks like the buildings are losing money because that's what you do for your taxes. <laughs> then he ended up not getting approved for the product. Then again, he tried to blame this lender. 
So then, so I said to him, I said, listen, you've got to stop burning bridges because I, you don't care because you're just trying to buy a deal and I'm not here for you for a year or two. But I work with these people, like these lenders, we have good relationships and I'm all about relationships. So stop burning bridges with, with my good relationships. And he's like, he's like, okay, he's like, don't worry. He's like, that this great product, I know a girl that worked for that bank. She helped me with my condo back in 2017. I said, oh, that's awesome. So uh, I called her. She said, Lawrence, like, why do you think I never work with him again? She's like, he was a, he was a big pain. Like, he kind of burned that bridge too. And I'm thinking, what a small world. Like, you know, she worked with a guy from this one bank that has this amazing product five years ago, and she hasn't forgotten, you know. I, by some miracle, I, I kind of smoothed it over with her, and we are actually working together. But it's a great example of don't burn bridges. And it's the same with real estate, is if you have, if you're a broker, and it, there's certain people that are so difficult to work with and so contentious that if, if, if you're in a multiple office situation, as an example, and um, they're, they're, they, they might not even they might not even show your offer to their seller because they don't want to work with you. Like, and I know people like that where brokers won't even work. That, that's how difficult they are. Which is there's some ethics there that you know I don't, I don't really want to go down that road. They probably should, but it, there's a lot of um, there's some shadiness in real estate with when it comes to egos and personalities. Whereas my approach is the opposite. I have such good relationships with some of the top agents I do business with. They'll come to me and they'll say, Lawrence, my builder's gonna finish this building in four weeks. It's better than anything that's selling in Pilsen. It's gonna get multiple offers as soon as we list it because he wants a quick sale. But I'm gonna give you first crack at it because I like you. And I know that you know, you're a professional and we, we, we have worked together many times. And I'll take that to my clients and, and we'll get it before it even hits the market. That, so there's certain things like that. So when it comes to real estate, relationships go a long way and and life is also about relationships you're that that what is it the cliche your your network is wait your network is your net worth yeah yeah is and so i think in real estate is it all comes down to is having that long-term mindset and trying to build relationships and i think that's the same in in anything i I keep bringing it back to fighting because that was that's my passion right my my hobby but it's the same where if you're if you're an aspiring fighter and you have good relationships with a promoter and you're going to sell tickets, he's going to give you good matchups and you can kind of build your career. Whereas if if you're very difficult to deal with and you don't bring anything to the show, he's probably not going to give you favorable matchups. Mm. So and I think you could apply that approach to almost anything in life where um, relationships are just so important. So many people look at entrepreneurs as just it's a numbers game without without taking to to account the relationships. But I, I think. I think being, an, and I'm not a leader of a company or anything, but I think being an, a, a person that's going to motivate and mentor and inspire and always be there for people within your small circle, whether it's a, a thousand people at a big company or whether it's three people that you work with regularly at your office, you know, whatever your circle is, the more that you give them, the more that you're going to get in return. And I, I think that's a, a good way for, for going through life and bringing back this, this pain, pain in the butt doctor. I called him, I called him when we were going through this and I said, you know, honestly, I said, I don't think we ended up kind of he, he apologized but I said if you're going to be like this I can't work with you and you're buying a million dollar building it's going to be a big check but I just can't be around that conflict all the time like I just I can't and I said you know you're a multimillionaire. you have a two-year-old son you're a really successful guy you're a surgeon like you don't need this conflict either you know it, you're you, you don't you're not, you're not struggling for pennies like you're really successful it's just not a way it's not a good way to live live your life going through life with all that conflict so the older I get that that stuff matters more and more um, that energy like when you've reached out to me about us talking you have such good energy you're such a great guy you've got two of my favorite books on your bookshelf over there you and I I think we look at the world in, in many ways in the same light and and I find talking to you very motivating inspiring and refreshing 
And it's the same on the negative. It's the same when you see someone's name pop up on your phone that they're just, they're, they're argumentative or they're aggressive or they're contentious. It's like, you just, it's, it's almost like that energy pushes you away. Mm. So I think that's great advice. And, and th- bring it back to business, Victor. When I was trading, there was, um, the company had a, they, my company had all these offices and then the, the Chicago office broke away from the, the other companies, the other offices in London and, and New York. And I remember when they broke away, they had to, I think they laid off half the company. Um, it was like 20 people. So I think 10 of them uh, were laid off. And one of the guys they kept was, he was a new trader and he, was, he wasn't he was a very good trader. And they kept him above some of these really good traders for one simple reason, is that he was a great guy. It was hilarious. Mm. And they just liked his energy. And it's something that, like you never learn that in business school, Mm-mm. but I'm t- it's, it goes a long way. Be, being a nice guy, being a good guy, being just being a good humor with good energy, it's going to open so many more doors. They'll, they'll never teach you that in an MBA program, but it's true. You see it in, in every business. I never, I never finished my MBA program. I, I was getting free school from UIC while oh, really? I was em- employed there. And uh, the key takeaway is like, because I, I didn't have a promotion lined up or anything. A lot of my co- co-students, uh, classmates like had, they were, in there because of their job their job put them there and they had things lined up afterwards and i felt like i was on the six-year plan i would take a course here and there and um and i started seeing people graduate and typically you get jobs with people that you started the program with and that you know i still keep in touch with some of those people but um i'm learning more from doing this like running running your own business than anything that i you know sat through the the best class i ever took was probably consumer behavior it's just like finding out why people do what they do why do they buy what they buy um that was the most fascinating class so some of the discussions we had in that mba program were nice but other than that it's like yeah victor i couldn't agree more and if if i was gonna especially with the escalating costs of tuition Mm. if i was gonna if if my son was at that age where he said dad you know i don't really want to go go to go to college but I do want to learn about business. What do you think I should do? 100%, I would say what you just said. I'd say, why don't you think, why don't we set up a company? I'll help fund it and, and you run it. Because that you just learn so much through practical um, things. I'm trying to think in my program, what I learned. Um, I mean, I, I really, I couldn't tell you one good thing that I learned from my program. I guess the only thing would be, I guess I, I was a year older and... Um, because in England you can do an MBA in a year I think here it's two if you do mm-hmm. it full time mm-hmm. I was a year older and I learned how to work really hard and I passed tests which I didn't think I passed because it was really hard some of the finance stuff mm-hmm. I wasn't very really good at Excel back then um, but I, I don't think there was one principle that I took from that at all so yeah no I mean you probably remember who you were with who you studied with uh, oh you know one thing just, just came to me the one the best thing I did is I sat down with my favorite professor um, Dr. Friedman and a finance but a young guy he was great and I said doctor I said I really want to I want to get my PhD he said why I said because I think it'll be really cool to call myself you know Dr. Lawrence Dunning and he said I'll tell you what he said I'll support you getting your getting your getting your um, doctorate but before you do I think you should go and go and get a job working for two years and if you still want to come back I'll help you and I'll you know you can you can be under me but um, what's probably going to happen is you're going to come down, you're going to drive down your 911 Porsche after working for two years in, in finance in the city, and you're going to say, actually, I've changed my mind. And I got a trading job, and he, I was trying to decide what, what job do I get into. And he said, he said, there's all these different jobs. If you go into investment banking, you could be working like a dog. He said, if you can somehow work in, in trading, something around the market, it's very difficult to work after the market closes. So you're not going to work these 20-hour days mm. like you will in investment banking. So he said, try to get a job, something around the market. And then just randomly, 
and th- this is such a I'm glad we're talking about this because it just shows the element of luck the way our life works out because too many people get fixated on too many people that are successful think that they got their success through hard work and too many people that feel lost feel like there's something wrong with them and both those things i think are wrong because i felt i'm here talking to you because i came to chicago through a trading company and the reason i got that job is because i was planning actually to go to australia for a few years and just enjoy life and travel and have a good time and my uncle was at a party, I'm very close to my uncle, and he was talking to a guy at this trading company and they were, they were really aggressively hiring, they were doing really well. And he said, oh, my nephew just graduated last week in his MBA program and he's not working. And, he, and the guy's like, oh, time to give me a call. So I was literally looking at flights to Australia and I'd saved for, through part-time jobs and investing in stocks when I was a kid. I had a you know, nice amount of money back then, saved up a few thousand to enjoy life. And he said, Lawrence, he said, just talk to this guy. He's like, I really liked him. He seemed like he was, you know, the company was doing really well. He's like, why don't you just work for six months, get some experience in finance, and then you can do your travels and just enjoy it with more money. I said, that's a good idea. So I went to this interview and I walk in the office and they had this huge aquarium. I mean, you know, 30, 40 feet long with all these really cool sharks that were like a foot and a half long, just and then these young kids, you could just tell they were making so much money on the phones. You could hear them trading, doing, doing, um, doing trades over the phone. And while I had about two days of interviews, I had about 12 interviews with all the different heads of the desks. And then right at the end, with the, the main guy, I think I passed the other interviews, and he just he said, oh, look at resume, and I was doing martial arts back then. And he's like, oh, my wife got into kickboxing, and we talked about martial arts for 20 minutes. And he's like, oh, when do you want to start? You know, it, it was the, the, the easiest interview. And... And he, I said, so I didn't tell him I just wanted to work for six months and leave. So I thought, and then, but as soon as you start working, you see young kids in their twenties making all this money. I immediately thought, well, it, this doesn't make sense. I'm not going to get all this effort to start a job where I can make such incredible earning potential and then quit after six months and travel. Mm. So then that company ended up sending me first to Amsterdam for a year, then to New York and then to Chicago. And then I left. So I fell into that through my uncle having a conversation at a dinner party and I ended up in Chicago talking to you. So I think it's such a good, of course I worked hard um, and I had some, you know, some some of the, any success that I've had, some of it is obviously through to work, through hard work, but so much of life is luck. And I think that's such a good thing to remember because people that haven't figured it out are some of my favorite people. You know, some I, I find it a little boring when but someone- they're trying. Yeah, they're trying. And also yeah. they're curious. And a lot of people that haven't figured out life is because they're, they're being put, and you're a good example of this. And not not saying you haven't figured out life because because you haven't. I haven't. Though. But, well, I mean, we're, we're, exactly. we're trying. We're trying. Know? But I think you and I are both doing multiple things because we have multiple interests, and I think that's mm-hmm. so, that's such a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Whereas sometimes for pure career success or monetary success, you want to have a singular focus and just follow one thing. Um, of course, if you're if you're following two, three, four pursuits, of course, it's impossible for you to be a successful if you're just focusing on one, right? Yeah. But I think some of my favorite people are like you, where you have those different avenues and you're doing different things that that nourish different parts of you one side might nourish your more intellectual side one side might be more your spiritual side one side might be just purely to pay the damn bills you know Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. we've all got these different things and i think we're in a beautiful a beautiful um, period of the world where it's not that unusual for people to be like us where we have multiple different things we do i think it's kind of cool in my parents generation most people got one job that they stuck with for their whole career Whereas now people yeah. are changing careers and jumping around. Without looking back, yeah. Yes. Um, do you ever feel like you need to give anything? I, I don't think so because you were great at so many things. But like, you know, you look at, I think you talked about this with someone else, Jay or Mo, but 
like the Michael Jordans or the or the Tiger Tiger Woods, like to be so narrow viewed or or singular in their goal that that's the way to greatness. That's such a great yeah. I think because we feel stretched, right? We feel stretched then. A hundred percent. And I was just I, I think about these things. It's so it's so great being a dad. And I've been talking recently about how much I love it. And I just want to have a disclaimer for all the non dads out there enjoy not having the stress you have sometimes when your kid's being a little monkey he's going through the terrible twos and he's just being an absolute monster for a few days and you're pulling your hair out so it's it's not always it's not always wonderful i just want to give that disclaimer well i mean at the same time people did tell you like exactly what you just said but you're like hey i'm still i'm still kicking ass in <laughs> I'm, I'm still killing it you know <laughs> well thank you brother but uh, one, one thing about about having about having my little my little cub um he's coming up to two is I start thinking about things, how I'm going to explain it to him. Mm-hmm. And w- I, I, love, I love the idea of having these philosophical conversations because while I love my dad, he was such a wonderful father, I, I was very close to him. I didn't really have those conversations with him. And some, sometimes I remember being in my mid-20s thinking, man, I wish my dad had told me some of the stuff that I had to figure out the hard way. Um, but with my son is how much, if you want to be truly great, and Michael Jordan's a great example, if you want to be truly great, it's at the expense of a lot. And even now, when you talk about him, he seems to me kind of bitter that he's getting compared to the people today because he thinks he's better than them today. And here's a guy who has all the success. You know, he was absolutely the top of his field, this global icon. But he's so competitive that it's hard for him just to be happy. And I think that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. So um, my f- good friend Brad and I, we did this competition together um, last weekend. It was the, the we're both, he got his black belt recently. We both did the black belt division of the Pan American Nogi uh, tournament. It was a really tough tournament. I came third. That was my goal was to get to the top four, which was it was a really tough, tough bracket. And he, he won his division. And we were both so happy. And we've both been competing a lot together the last 10 years. And I said to me, I said, I'm, I'm whether it's... F- I'm going to take a long break. It might be the last one. I'm not sure, but I'm going to take a long break from competing. And he said the same thing. And the, the reason is because we, we're both competitive and we know that you're never going to be satisfied. There's always another goal. But at some point, you have to just be happy with what you have. And we're both kind of coming to that realization. So that's a great thing. I ha- imagine having that conversation with, with uh, my son, who's also called Victor, little Victor, <laughs> and having that conversation with him is, I, of course, like any parent, I want my son to find something that he's passionate about to be great. But just be aware, if you're a competitive person, most people that you look up to in whatever field they're competitive in, they're so competitive, it's at the expense of a lot of things. And a lot of the time, it's at the expense of happiness. Yeah. And there's that, um, uh, it was that great story, and I forget who, it was Joseph Heller, the author of Catch-22. Mm. And he was, it's, I can't remember who's telling the story, but this, this journalist was at a party with Joseph Heller. It was some billionaire party in New York. And he said, Joseph, does it bother you that this guy makes more in a day with his investment deals than you'll make you know, of the, the lifetime royalties of your book, Catch-22? And he said, it doesn't bother me because um, he said, I know what is enough. Like that guy doesn't know. He's always striving for more, but Joseph Heller's like, I know what's enough. And I think that's what my friend and I, we had such a nice weekend competing. And we realized that we don't have to always strive for more. Sometimes you just have to sit back and, and say enough's enough. And I think that's the biggest difference between success and happiness is people that are very successful are always looking forward. And um, I, I, when, I, when I was young, I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger because I thought he was such a good example of someone who he was, um, he was a, the, the best bodybuilder when he was young. 
Then he moved to California. He became he, he made his first million through real estate investment in Santa Barbara real estate. So before he made millions in movies. Then he became a global movie movie star. Then he became the um, governor of California. So he had it's hard enough to reach the top in one field. And this guy reached the top in four very different fields. Mm. It's, it's incredible. And he had this thing where he, I remember reading his biography. Such a, his biography is such a great book. He said he has a at home, he has a huge shelf with all these photo albums from all these travels around the world, all the amazing things he's done. And he said, you know, I just never, never go back and look at them. And I was always the same way. I would never, I would take photos. I, I would travel a lot, especially when I took, I took uh, basically between 30 and 35, between trading full time in the pit and, and starting my real estate career. I was trading a bit online. I was investing in real estate and I was, I was fighting professionally in MMA. During those times, I traveled a lot. I did all these awesome things. I almost never go back and look at those because I'm always looking forward. So by always looking forward, it keeps you striving for more and that tends to lead to success. But in order to be happy, you've got to sometimes step back and just see how far you've come and you've got to see, you've got to know what's enough. And I think that's something that, it's it's such a beautiful feeling that I've come into terms with is, is I'm 43 years old. I don't have to compete with a 20 year old savage at the jiu-jitsu gym. I'm not going there to be a fighter anymore. Like that was a, that was a, that was my past life. Now, the reason I go to the jiu-jitsu mats is to see my friends, to get a workout, to teach the new students. Mm-hmm. It's a very di- I'm doing the same thing that I was doing 10 years ago, but it's with a very different purpose. And I think that's something, it's, it's such a beautiful feeling where I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to focus more on being happy mm-hmm. as opposed to achieving success for who? You know, for, for, of course, it's for me, but I don't need status. I don't need praise from people i just need my inner circle to love me i need my wife to love me i need to have a good relationship with my son and my parents and my brother you know it's i'm I'm trying to be happy with what i have as opposed to striving for things i don't have yeah i mean i wonder i wonder what motivates people to go and make all these sacrifices to be the goat or the greatest you know I think I think someone like uh, I think you have to have that it has to be a genetic thing where you have a crazy drive it has mm-hmm. to be that but I do believe and um, Jay and I were talking about this and I wish I had, had a bit of time to formulate because he asked me that he said what do you think he, he said he, he thinks I'm a he, he's called me um, an overachiever in the sense that I've achieved more then I don't think I achieve, had much natural talent but the things I achieved were more through hard work than talent so I think that's the definition of an overachiever and but I think a lot of it is not like it's not me at step one saying, I'm going to get to step 100 and I'm going to do everything along the way. I think it's just as you develop, your goals keep shifting. So my goals 20 years ago were kind of small. And as I got closer to achieving them, you keep moving the goalposts, moving the goalposts. Mm-hmm. So I think um, and it, it's like that feedback loop where you get a bit of success and it feels good. And uh, then you want a bit more success and it keeps you driven and and, and I'm lucky, I think, because any success that I have is always things I enjoy doing. I've, I don't think I've ever done, aside from jobs I did when I was you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, I did some crappy jobs I hated for money. Aside from that, I really feel like I've, I've got some enjoy. I've always worked hard, but it's always been something I've enjoyed doing. And I think I'm very blessed to have that. So I think people that are working, doing something they really don't enjoy, don't stop what you're doing because you probably need the paycheck. But use, the, use some time, use that time while you while you're supporting yourself doing something you don't like use your free time and i yeah. think gary v is a really that good gary, yeah, yeah I, I really agree with that use your free time to figure out I mean, what you enjoy probably netflix and chilling or exactly scrolly scroll on instagram or whatever you're doing in your free time exactly and we all have it like we all say we don't but we all have so much and the, the problem is netflix is so freaking good there's so many good shows hbo max show there's so much good content out there you can spend your whole life just consuming 
And one of my, the, the very first podcast I did was with uh, Nick Gregorati. He's a friend of mine who's an um, old school podcaster. He was actually on Joe Rogan's podcast before Joe blew up. Mm-hmm. He's an um, old school jiu-jitsu instructor and he's a good friend of mine in California from South Africa originally. He's a fascinating, fascinating guy and he's always lived a very unusual life. And I think the, the reason that I wanted to do the first podcast with him was um, I, I got so much out of out of listening to him talk about trying to create a life that's different and that he's he's a great example of don't be he grew up in south africa and his parents had this expectation and he gave all that up and he moved to london and he found the best jiu-jitsu instructor in the world hodger gracie and he said i want to learn from the best because this is my passion he got he was hodger gracie's first jiu-jitsu black belt then he went on now he's 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 gone on to more like business mentorship and coaching he lives in la now and so I look at people like him and it's like, yes, sometimes he might look at me and say, I wish I had a bit more, you know, he's never really focused on money. He's always focused on quality of life. But he, so he might look at me and say, I wish I had a bit more, a bit, bit more smarter with money. And I'd been focusing on money when I was younger because it would have paid dividends today. But I look at him and I, I keep telling him like the experiences you've had, no one's, no one can ever take that away from you. Mm. So I always think that thing, Victor, if you live your life backwards, so if you look at yourself on your deathbed and you say, do I want to be a multimillionaire on my deathbed that didn't have good relationships, never did anything fun, didn't yeah, really like spend good time reverse engineer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so I think, I always think that was always my, that's when you talk about motivation. One of my motivations was I didn't want to be an 80 year old guy with grandkids around and money, but in my heart, no, I should have taken opportunities to do things that when I was young that, that were outside the box. So one of them was I always dreamed about fighting because I thought it was so difficult. I thought, I'm not, I'm not, there's two types of fighters. There's ones that either they're fighting in the cage or if they weren't fighting the cage, they'd be going out and some drunk guy would be starting a fight and they'd be kicking their ass. You know, like I was not that kind of guy. I'm just a very, the person that loved the challenge because it was so difficult because I was so intimidated by looking at a guy who's jacked and scary looking. I'm like, shit, I got to get in a cage and fight that guy. So really? Me, yeah. So I actually, I remember I had that, my, um, I remember one fight. I remember exactly. I ended up, it, it was a, it was a good win. The guy wasn't that great at grappling and I simmered in pretty quickly, but I remember looking at him. I, it's so funny that the thoughts you have just before you fight, I'm on the ground floor. The guy's putting Vaseline on me and he, I was the second one in the cage. So he's in the cage walking around looking fierce. And I remember I looked up at him and I remember thinking, I don't even know who this guy is. I've got no desire to fight the guy. But when you're like, say you're driving and some guy cuts you off and you have road rage and some guy cuts you off and gives you the finger and you're like, oh, you have that feeling. I was like, why can't I have that feeling? But every time I'm going to fight, I'm always like, I don't know this guy. I don't have any problem with this guy. I don't want to fight this guy. Why am I going to fight this guy? You know, so it's, it's always, I was not that kind of guy, but I, but I just, so I love the challenge of it. And I think that's the thing is that those five years I spent fighting, I, I basically gave away my trading company to my to my one of my one of my employees. What I should I could have been so much more. I should have had kept my financial interest in that. I should have been way smarter with my finances than I was. But I'll never regret those five years because I have a lifetime to make money. But I had a very small window before I was too old to do something physical. And I think that's the key to whenever you're making a tough, whenever you're faced with a decision in life, ask yourself: Would your future self, twenty years down the road, what decision would he want you to make? And that's normally going to tell you your answer because that, that guy is not going to care about you sacrificing time with your family to get a promotion and make a bit more money. He won't care about that, but he'll care about you nurturing your relationship so you still have a good relationship with your son or you know something like that. So yeah. that reverse engineering, I think you can apply the same to goals because the things that, that are important to you 
do the things today that over time are going to get you the success and things that are going to matter to you when you're older, as opposed to doing something. I feel like that's the intrinsic versus extrinsic thing you touched on is the intrinsic motivation is the things that your 80 year old self will be proud of. Mm. Whereas the extrinsic one is going to be like, yeah, it's cool if you're a single guy and you can brag about these things to pick up chicks in the big scheme of things. That's not really going to matter down the road. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I feel like you could have been because the bedrock of your success as a broker, you say stems from your ability to cultivate relationships for the long term. That applies, like you said, to life. But it, you you could have landed in any industry. You could have been in hospitality. You could have continued. Well, I guess fighting has a limited window. But like you could have done anything. Well, that's very sweet of you to say. Thank you, brother. But um, I think yeah, I think. Or if is you- there one aspect of real estate that really like makes it unique aside from the? Re- Ability no. to cultivate relationships. Honestly, Victor, I, I don't. I think that I, I, I really hate the, the phrase. I, I use the phrase that my wife is my soulmate because I do think we just, it's from the beginning, it, it's just been so easy. Just, we see so many things in life the same way. Mm-hmm. I feel like we have such a good connection. And I really, sometimes when my single friends complain, I feel a bit guilty because I think we're, we were so lucky to, to meet. Um, but at the same time, I don't, I don't believe that there weren't other soulmates. On, on a numbers perspective, it just doesn't make sense with you know seven, eight billion people that there's one soulmate out there. I think there's many soulmates, and I think it's the same for. Otherwise, you'd never meet anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same for careers. I think, um, I think I would have been happy doing many different things. Um, but I think the one, the one thing that is important to me, and I think it's the same with you. You share this is, I'll work harder for less money as long as I'm my own boss and I have freedom. Mm-hmm. And I think I have that personality where I just, I, I can I can do, I can roll up my sleeves. I remember this, I had a property manager who I had this, um, I had this one building and the tenant called me and said that they didn't, they didn't do the snow. So a few years ago, my property manager, for whatever reason, didn't do the snow. And I remember thinking, oh, I'll, it was eight o'clock at night on a Thursday. I'm like, oh, I'll go to Home Depot. I'll do it myself. It has to get done. Also, I just remember having, and then suddenly they called. Oh, sorry, they, they showed up late. They did it. And I remember when that happened, being so happy because I was like, man, I didn't think, oh God, I can't do this. But I was like, if I have to, whatever it is, there's nothing beneath me. I'll roll up my sleeves and I'll get dirty. And I still have that. And I, I will always have that. And I think too many people, if, as long as you have that mentality, that if whatever has to get done will get done, um, I think I, I think I could have done a lot of things. I think you're the same. I think most people are the same. And I think if you're doing something that you're not happy with, th- there's other things. J- just because you don't know today what they are, through a bit of soul searching, through a bit of research, through a bit of thinking, through listening to podcasts. Podcasts are great. Podcasts are open up so many doors. Like, um, do you have any thoughts on ayahuasca? Uh, open-minded to it. Oh, okay. I, I've never tried. I've never had a. Experience. Do you know I'm, much? Still, I'm still waiting for my first uh, LSD trip. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. just find, trying to find a day. <laughs> well, I, I give an example. Like, what the reason podcasts are so powerful is, I heard a podcast, someone talk about ayahuasca, and I was so curious because it sounded like a whole different world. And then I was in training in Zanzibar seven years ago, and I met Nick Gregoretti, my friend who was on, who was on my jiu-jitsu friend who moved from South Africa to, to London. And he had he had talked on his he had done some podcasts and he had talked about it. He was a big proponent, and I remember asking him about it. And then he said, "Don't worry, I've got you." And then years later, he called me and he said, "Hey, I'm doing a ceremony in Joshua Tree. You're invited. You know, it's this day, and we've we've done two weekends a few years ago, different weekends, and I got incredibly positive benefits out of it. But I would have never even known about it if I hadn't heard someone talking about it. 
Then I asked him who I knew had done it and was experienced. And then I waited a few years and then it happened. And that's a random example, but it's just something where be open-minded to things because life is beautiful if it's that stoic approach where you can either be that guy who's such a force of nature, he doesn't care what kind of world he's living in or what's around him, he's gonna bend the world to his will. You've got those kind of people. And I felt like when I was young, I tried to be that person. And then you've got the other people where opportunities happen and you kind of just go with it a bit more. And I think that's the thing that we were talking about where um, I ended up in Chicago talking to you because the opportunities happened. I, I've taken opportunities that were given to me and I had some really good luck and I also worked hard. So all those things yeah. went together. Yeah, but uh, and both of us you know, were prepared for that serendipity to occur. Right? Yes. So like, at that point, I was prepared to lead my own EMT program and branch off from University of Illinois to do the own thing, right? And, and if I wasn't ready, that wouldn't have ever happened. Right? 100%. So, you know, how many doors have opened and you had to unfortunately say no because you weren't ready for whatever reason? I think that's, when, what do they say? Success is when luck meets opportunity. So, or something yeah, like that, yeah. yeah, so we can't control luck, but we can control the preparation. And I think that's, I always go back to, I just, it's, it's tough, right? Because preparation is, you know, when you break down words, I was talking to, uh, listen to Lex Friedman earlier today, and it's just like, especially when you, when you have a curious two-year-old or a child, and they start asking, what is this? Why is that? And it's just like, when you start trying to explain things to a two-year-old, you realize you don't know the definitions to a lot of words. A hundred percent. We know, Victor, I'm really, I'm really excited. I feel like when he grows up, I'm going to live life again because I'm going to have to relearn everything to explain. Yeah, and I'm yeah. kind of excited for that, honestly. Like, yeah. I really Because even just things like, you know, the order of the planets, I've kind of got it, but I probably would get a few of them wrong. <laughs> just like all these little things I'm going to relearn. You know, he's going to go through the dinosaur phase and I'm going to talk about dinosaurs. Yeah. And I'm so excited for that because I'm curious. But you're 100% right, yeah. There, there's so many things that, if like, well, why is the sky blue? Well, I think it's black, isn't it? But it, the blue light is reflected back to us or something or you know yeah. something like that you yeah, know see it's just but like, but it's like all these things that i kind of know but i kind of you know right. there's, there's a lot more to know but that's the mass majority of adults yes um assumptions we just like just spout words <laughs> and just like rat like just... well, well that that expression fake it to you make it is so true because i remember when i first started boxing i remember reading all these books on um on confidence and mental strength and what it came down to is where do you get that? Like, where do you get a winner's mentality mm. before you're a winner? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it's very difficult, and it comes down to you have to kind of break it down. So, before I had one amateur boxing fight, I had to at least be winning in in the gym, beating some people. Then I was beating better people that mm. actually had competed before, and then I can be like, okay, I'm gonna, and then I have an amateur boxing fight, and I win. Okay, now I can win. Then I lose. Oh, that's not good. Then I win a few more. Okay, well, I've got a winning record now. And so it's it's like anything with that imposter syndrome. I, I, I know we we kind of touched on it, but I think it's so important to remind people because almost everyone that I look up to has some form of imposter syndrome. And I never thought I had it until I started analyzing it, and I have it in almost anything I do. You know, we, we all do. So it's and like you said, we're all kind of going. Through, we're going through life doing the best we can, but it's so easy to put people on pedestals and think that they don't have the same anxiety and things that we do. And I think Tim Ferriss is a good example because um, you know I remember reading his book, the the Four Hour Work Week. You know, before he was so famous, he's so famous now. But I think he's very passionate about. Um, I think he's pretty passionate about. Um, psychedelics and plant medicine for mm -hmm. depression mm -hmm. he's been he's, he's been pretty he's, open 
because he put in his own money. Yes, and didn't he? I think he was close to suicide or something. And he's, he, yeah, yeah, and he's yeah. He 20s. shared that was a personal story he shared yes. as well. And so I think it's so easy. People will look to someone like him as this super successful guy, and he's struggling with a lot of like depression and doubts and all these things too. And I'm sure he has some anxiety because he's he's got a lot of wealth now, but he's trying to figure out life and he talks about family. And so it doesn't matter who the person is; they're all struggling with something. And I think that's such a good reminder because it's too easy as humans. You know, we we evolved to be in these tribes and we evolved to look up to certain leaders so our brain naturally is always looking to leadership and when you look to people that are in positions that you know places that you want to be or they're just natural leaders that you're looking to for advice or or um guidance it's just such a good and and you're not going to feel good if you've got all these questions and you're confused and you see someone that you put on a pedestal that you think's figuring out so i just i know we've said it before but i'd like to remind people anyone that's listening is anyone that you think is a finished package is is not we're all working on it and i think it's it's beautiful it's frustrating but it's also beautiful too because if you and i had figured out life it wouldn't be that exciting right Mm. i think one of the things that i really want to teach my son is that i'm freaking out too it's okay because i know that it's so interesting how the brain works and i don't know if you've had this victor but i've had it where I'll have something happen and it will trigger a memory from 20 years ago. And I think, wow, if that hadn't happened, I'd have gone to my deathbed and I would never have remembered this memory. Sure. But something will happen. And so I'm, now as a parent, I'm getting a lot of flashbacks to when I was a kid. I was talking to my dad. And I remember being oh. at Heathrow Airport when I was about seven years old. And you know, when you're at an airport, you're kind of following the signs. You're, you're, you're getting to your gate in the plane. And I remember it just seemed so confusing to my little brain. I remember saying, Dad, how do you know where to go? You always seem to know where to go. And I remember he said to me, he's like, oh, I don't know. I just kind of, I figured it out. So look, I'm following this sign. I'm going to go here and I'm going to look where the gate is. And he explained to me, and I remember my little brain, I remember thinking, oh, that's really nice to know that my dad, even though it seemed like he'd figured everything out, he's learning as well. And I think that's such a, so I can't wait to, these are all the the things that I think about, the, the fun it's going to be to explain all these concepts to, to him. With, uh, with your son, Victor, and your students in jujitsu, how do you cultivate their perspective of giving their best effort versus winning? That's a great question. Yeah. With, with the, with the, well, he's a bit young for competing, but I think yeah. one of the, one of the, my favorite things was there was um, Hicks and Gracie, one of the famous uh, jujitsu champions from the Grace family. He had a great biography recently he released and he talked about when he was young, he was from this lineage, this famous family and he had this target on his back from his last name. And his dad just, he, did, he wanted him to compete without the pressure. So he said, listen, if you compete and you win, I'll buy you an ice cream. But if you compete and you lose, I'll buy you two ice creams. So he just completely took the pressure off. And I remember when I was, when I was, I think I was 15 years old, I had my first, I think it was a kickboxing, an amateur kickboxing tournament I did. And I remember my dad had to go to work. He was a pilot, but I woke up, he had left early. He'd left me a note on my desk in my bedroom. And he said, good luck today, but most importantly, have fun. And I remember reading that and I was like, wow. He didn't say, go get him, you got to win. It was just good luck and have fun. There was nothing he said about results. And I remember thinking at the, as, at the time, wow, he's just taking pressure off me. He cared enough to leave a note, though. Yes, but, no, but I thought it was beautiful because yeah. he wasn't saying, he wasn't putting pressure on me to win. No, no, He was no. saying, enjoy the process. And I think yeah. with my students, one of my students, shout out to Juan, he did a tournament, a charity tournament this weekend. And um, he lost, I think he lost the decision. But... In the match, he had a beautiful move. We did this beautiful double leg takedown. And I know he's been working on wrestling with me. And he's really tough. And I remember t- saying, like, that's, it's, forget about the result. What, within the result, you have a really positive thing, this beautiful takedown that you got that you're working on. And I think the key, the key with competing is telling people, 
Number one, I'm really proud of you for getting out there because a lot of people never will step into a jiu-jitsu gym and a lot of people that will train will never compete. So the fact that you're even out there, I give you a lot of credit because you're facing your fears and you're, and you're, you're putting yourself out there. But the other thing is, there's a beautiful saying in jiu-jitsu, you either win or you learn. And that's having a growth mindset because if you win, it's saying that the training you're doing, it's kind of giving you a positive feedback loop. You're doing the right training. Mm-hmm. But if you lose, it's saying, okay, now you're getting a lesson in what you have to work on. So in jiu-jitsu, as an example, if the guy gets a really good takedown and then just stalls on top, okay, I've got to work my stand-up. And there's, so every competition that you, you do, you can take something positive from it. Because either one, you do well, you're getting positive feedback, or two, you lose, and you can take that as, as feedback of things you have to work on. Yeah, it's kind of like taking a test. It's a test. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think there's no, there's, and you can apply, apply that approach to anything, but I think um, if, if there's any, if you look at most champions in sports, most of them have just had more experience. So Tiger Woods, as an example, he was hitting the golf ball when he was, what, four years old with his dad or something. So most people probably would get into golf later than that. Um, I don't know what age Michael Jordan started, but he was notorious for, for training harder than anyone. So he was putting in more reps and more time. And so I think that's the key is, is any, any endeavor, and this applies to sport and business too, is um, I know Elon Musk is, is fond of saying, by him working crazy days, he does more in one year than someone might do in three years. So his path is accelerated. So I think the, the main thing is if you can take the results out of the equation and just focus on using competition as just more time or, or even in business, let's say there's no competition, but maybe it's going to take you starting three different companies and they all fail, but you get the lessons from all three. And then when you start your fourth, that's going to be a huge yeah, success. And that, it's easy to miss. You've heard this before. It's just like people aren't aware of the three failed businesses. Exactly. So you just see the, the successful but, one. Yes. Yeah. But I think, but so anything you can do, I think anything that you're passionate about, you have to just There's put the takeaway. Yes. You have to put the time in yeah. and, you, and you have to always focus on you. So if you're starting these different businesses and they're failing, but you are growing, by the time you eventually find the right business, you'd have grown enough and evolved enough to do really well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I guess one last topic. We can probably talk for hours, but one last topic is like, what went into your decision to move to Indiana? I I think you've been um, public about and I feel the same way about like the sentiment on crime recently in Chicago. Um, did that weigh heavy on your decision? Yes. So um, it's so funny because the, the story of how I'm, I'm in the middle of buying this place in Indiana is so random. And um, I'll, I'll be very open with everyone. So I was very, I'm, I know politics is a messy game. And I'm smart enough to realize that it doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right. There's no, every, every side has its flaws. And I'm much more libertarian. I, I believe in a bit more, like, less rules from people. I think um, one of my big pet hates is I've had a lifetime in health and fitness. And when you have health ministers that are obese, for example, it's just, it just doesn't make sense to me. And so all, and, and it wasn't just America. It wasn't just Chicago. It wasn't just America. I was pretty dismayed with pretty much every country in the West, the way they tackled COVID, I think, was wrong. And um, I could I, even at the time I could see it, and you, you know you couldn't say anything back then because then you'd be like, oh, you're you're okay with killing my grandma? That that kind of mentality. It was a very difficult time. Um, but what really frustrates me is if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, at the bottom is safety. So we live in a weird time. I think Thomas Sowell said it, where it's almost like the the rights of the criminals is being is is over the rights of the victims now. It's a very funny time. And listen, I'm smart enough to know that I grew up with a loving family. I had two parents that loved me. And I know a lot of, a lot of people that, that end up in jail. 
um, they didn't have the opportunities I get. But it just doesn't work for society if you try to say that they didn't have the advantage that I have, so we're going to put their rights above the taxpaying citizens. It just doesn't work. So I'll give you an example of the um, Ken Griffin, the uh, Citadel um, CEO. He, he, I think he, either he's leaving or he's already left Chicago. So he, Citadel was a Chicago company. He was held up at gunpoint, I think, outside his place or something. So he said, that's it, I'm done. And um, our wonderful Mayor Lightfoot said, good riddance, I don't need him, screw him. But the thing is, he took over a hundred of his employees that make over a million dollars a year. How much revenue does that give to the city in terms of taxes, in terms of money they spend at restaurants and all the income and the jobs and everything? So he took all of that. I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he's either leaving or he's left to Florida. And, and that's just an example of, we have leadership where I felt that because of the nature of my real estate business, I work every day when I'm in town. And when I'm out of town, I, um, I still work, but I'm not physically working. So I'm tied to Chicago. So I would kind of, I would have some, some kind of sadness at people that are location independent. And they're like, hey, I'm out of here, I'm moving to Arizona. Or, hey, I'm out of here, I'm moving to Florida. I would always have some sadness that the, the way my life has panned out, I'm stuck to a location of a city that for, for 18 years, I've absolutely loved. I love Chicago, I, lo- I love the people, you know, you're a good example, the people here, I put them above almost any, any other people in the world. I think Midwestern people are so wonderful. And um, there's so many other things I love about Chicago. But the crime just, it bothered me so much. And it was one of those things where I think about me, I'm 43 years old. I'm a former professional fighter. I have three guns. I've taken about 10 tactical shooting courses. I can handle myself. I'm not me I'm worried about. Imagine you're a 75 year old widow and you've lost your husband and you live in the city. Like those people, I just feel so sorry. The systems let them down. You know, mm-hmm. like I've got friends that are cops that I do jiu-jitsu with and they tell me, they tell me the impossible situation. And listen, this isn't to discount, you know, there's a great movie with Al Pacino, the Serpico, you know, about all the corruption. It was mm-hmm. a corruption in the, the um, New York police force in the, in the 70s, I think it was. That the police force has, has, has a long history. There's a lot of, been a lot of corruption and things like that. I'm not discounting that. But one thing that I can't stand is people like Justin Trudeau that have arms, an armed security detail that says it's illegal for citizens to own guns while they walk around with armed security. It's this, it's this, it's this diversion of, um, of there's no skin in the game for these politicians. Mm-hmm. Or kind of like Lightfoot where she had, she said, it's okay, we'll, we'll have, you know, you can riot and burn down the city after the George Floyd incident, but I'm going to have, there's no rioting on my block and I'm going to have 20 cops around my, you know, my street. So it's, just, it's this, um, the division between the politicians, the way they live their lives, or when we had all the shutdowns and no one could leave the house, but my family's going to fly to Florida. You know, that there was every politician was, was doing that. It, it was just, it's so disheartening. So I think the crime, it really bothers me. And four people were shot in broad daylight with no, they don't know who, they're not even looking for the victims um, two blocks from one of my job sites. I work a lot in, in Bronzeville and Woodlawn and, and mm. areas of the South Side where the, the crime is pretty bad. And what's so heartbreaking is, there's not much media attention for the crime if it's if it's black on black shootings, Mm-mm. and it drives infuriates me because I've helped clients in those areas who have told me that they've vented to me how frustrated they are that it's 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 only you know if it's if it's the wrong um, nationalities killing each other that that makes headlines but. No, no one talks about. It. I think even last weekend there was something like fifty people shot in Chicago, and I think it every was, day there's at least five. Right, yeah. exactly, and I think the, a lot of them. Are, I think there was fifteen last weekend. It's that were black, I'm black. Right, but they were young. They were like yeah. they were teens, like caught in the crossfire or something. Yeah. And so it just it infuriates me. I, I'm not too worried about myself. It infuriates me that um, I'm paying and supporting a system that I just vehemently disagree with the way they handle crime mm-hmm. because it. I just think on a on a visceral level, it just it 
I just feel so bad for the people that I, I think I'm going to be okay, but I feel so bad for the people that aren't. And then I, of course, with with the son, I worry about him. Um, just, I think I still think the, it's so low the probability. But I did. I was driving home the other day, and I went through a, I went through an intersection. Some guy blew a red light, and I flashed him, and he pulled up beside me in the car, and two guys stuck their fingers out the window, like making the shape of a gun, and it was it happened very quickly. It, they didn't have. They were almost just threatening me. And I remember when it happened. I, I don't. I don't care. I have the concealed carry. I don't carry guns. I just don't want to live like that. And I remember thinking, do I have to? Is that is that what I have to do now? Like I have to be, be prepared for people to pull guns on me, and I've got to get in firefights now, and I've got to think about my family. And it's just, it's something I just don't want to live like that. So, it was late at night. My wife's asleep. A good friend of mine texted me, and he said, Lawrence, my he lives in Indiana. He's a doctor. He always lived in the city. He loved it. You know, I had a boat on Lake Michigan. He was a partier, great guy. And then as he got older, he just got kind of, he just like, I want to get out of the city and get some land. He's a bit older than me. And he said, Lawrence, my neighbor is just listed their place. It's got 7.7 acres and it'll be perfect for your son. And I was like, brother, number one, I'm not really looking in the market for a house right now. I'm kind of focusing on other things. Number two, I wasn't even thinking about Indiana. I don't even have my Indiana license. So I don't, I wasn't even thinking about that. And number three, um, I don't know if I'm quite ready to leave the city. And then he sends me all these texts. He's like, he's an ER doctor, so he's working nights. He sends me all these texts like, think about your son. Think about, like, there's no crime. And he's, he's basically listing all these different things. He's like, across the street, there's a jiu-jitsu instructor whose son's like a jiu-jitsu champion. He'll be a great mentor for your son. He's like, he's listing all he's these things. He's got it all planned out, huh? Oh, my God. Victor, <laughs> he sold me. By the end of his text, it's so funny. My wife's asleep. I, I'm, I'm shaking her awake. I'm like, baby, baby. <laughs> like, we got to move to Indiana. She's like, what? She's like, we'll talk tomorrow, you know? So then, uh, so, so I, I send her all these texts. She wakes up to all these messages. She's like, she comes to me the next day and she said, Lawrence, I couldn't believe, like, She's like, I read through everything twice. She's like, 100%. This is, again, me saying how much I consider her my soulmate. She's like, I, everything he said is true. Like, I really think it's the place for us. And I know we've both been, we haven't even thought about India, but we've both been, all the, the we'd look at houses the last few years and we'd, we'd look at things online together. We'd look at how crazy the suburbs in Chicago are, how crazy the taxes are. And we just, nothing felt right. I couldn't really make up my mind. And I was getting so frustrated because I, I couldn't figure out the next step where we're going to go because we're kind of outgrown our condo now and I don't want to be in a condo. I want a bit of space, you know? And so it was just the perfect scenario. And the one thing, just, just to say, there's, there's so many things. I'm an hour south at Cedar Lake, um, Indiana. So with no traffic, it's just under an hour. Most days, it'll probably be a little over an hour to get to the city. It's not bad. It's not too bad. The, the thing is, um, I know I'm not naive enough. Like one thing that I hate about people that the binary thinking that we talked about is they're like, oh, screw Chicago, all this crime, screw the leadership, screw Lightfoot, I'm going to leave and life's going to be so much better elsewhere. Listen, I know that there's days that I'm not going to like that commute. I know that there's a lot of things I'm going to miss about the, um, the, the people that are close to me, the ease of, of getting to places, the, the, the great restaurants on my doorstep. I know there's going to be a lot about Chicago that, I, that I'm going to miss. I also know that I'm 43 years old and I've spent 25 years living in high-rises and I don't know the first thing about looking after a house and, and, and chainsaws and all this look, backyard, all this stuff. But it, I'm, just, I'm, I'm excited to learn and I think that change is really good. So I want to learn how to be a, a manly man and, and be you know cutting down trees with chainsaws and building oh building a treehouse for my son down one, the road. One of my uh, favorite guests, she uh, she came on twice already, but during the pandemic, she put all her money essentially from rent into her salon business and also built a van. So wow. she's living the van life. Now. That's incredible. But I think that's see those kind of stories. I think are so cool with it because um, it's I think it's life is about growth. 
and about experiences. Yeah. And so I'm so excited because I'm not going to lie. I'm terrified of the idea of like, I don't know the first thing about looking after this huge house where, you know, you've got to make sure there's, there's certain things I have to drain for the winter so things don't freeze because it's weird mm-hmm. out, outside mm-hmm. stuff. And all these things like a septic tank. I don't know the first thing about a septic tank. All these things that I'm going to have to learn, but I'm, I'm excited to embrace the challenge. And I think it's going to be worth it for just having, um, I grew up on a, about an acre in a, in a far suburb of London. And I think that's such a good upbringing for a kid to know the neighbors, to be playing on the street. And you just, it's harder to get that in the city. Um, and so I think the crime was, it was the impetus, but it was also the, going back to the whole thing about trying to take what life gives you instead of trying to fight life. I, I literally had a friend who, I, he's a dear friend of mine. I don't see him very much because we live so far apart. But a neighbor who spent the time to really not only send me a place across the street for me, but actually sell it to me. Like, well, he's not getting anything out of it. Mm-hmm. He's such a great mm-hmm. guy. And, and, and shout out to my friend Eric. He's such a great guy. Not only is he lending me some money for the down payment because I wasn't financially set he, to he buy a place. He just wants to live next to cool people. He, he's such a great guy. Yeah. <laughs> he also, he told me the first year, he's like, I've got all the, he's like, I did this. He did this nine years ago. He's like, I left the city from a high rise. He's like, I've done this. I've got all the equipment. I've figured out, you know, the last decade. It's nice. He's like, I'm going to, the first year, you can borrow all my tools till you buy your own. It's like, I'm going to help you with everything. He's just such a great guy. So, I, I think it's gonna be real fun. You know, what's the worst that can happen? In a year, I'm losing my mind. I come back to the city. You know, it's, it, the city yeah, will always be here. Be here. But I, I mean, you're you're still a bit younger, and I think I I do believe, and I'd love to know your your opinion on this, Victor. But don't you think there's a time and place for everything? So I think mm-hmm. as a as a if I was a 25 year old single guy moving moving to the countryside would probably be the worst thing ever, right? Like, what, how am I going to meet somebody? Yeah. But, but as you get older, your priorities change. So I think it's just the idea of having a big I've always dreamed about having a big parcel of land and just the idea of just of, of the peace and the serenity. And I've got huge goals. You know, I just, I want to have like a, you know, a cold plunge. I want to have mm. a sauna. I want to have a basement gym. You know, I've got all these big goals and things that I can yeah, do. You can't do that space. in a condo. Exactly. So <laughs> I, I, I'm just really excited for that next step. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss the city a lot and it's going to be harder to see people. Um, it's going to be harder. You know, I'm going to be, getting an Indiana license and I'm going to be trying to work in two different markets. It's going to be really tough juggling those two. So it's going to, it's going to have a whole bunch of challenges and stress, but I think it's, it's good stress. I think trying to, if, if my business, if anyone's business, yours, mine, anyone listening, if you have a set, something that's just making money, it's very easy. There's no stress. I think after a while, it's just, you want some kind of something to force you to grow. And I think that's the secret to life is, is stress is not bad and there's there's something called the there was a, a doctor in the 70s i think it was and he had it's called the u-curve of stress so it's like up to a certain level stress is good and then it kind of gets to the top and then it kind of fall it's called the inverted u so it's an upside down u and then it kind of falls to the other side and that's when you get too much anxiety it's bad for your health all that stuff but so many things that I think you and I would be proud of that we've done would be, if we look back, it was stressful, but mm. it was good stress or control stress. Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, embracing the struggle and from an early age, you said you learned uh, you know, to appreciate delayed gratification. Um, we are in an age where instant gratification, uh, where you can just get minor dopamine hits throughout the day, whether that's like scrolling Instagram or whatever it is. Like, um, You forget that I think true fulfillment comes from 
something difficult. Yes, exactly. And I think that's why I was so proud of, of making the top four in this tournament is I've won some tournaments at Black Belt, but they've all been regional tournaments and I've never made the final four at one of these big national tournaments. And it's been it's my sixth year of, of competing at Black Belt and it's the first time I've done it. And that's why it felt so good. If I had rolled out of bed and won the first one, it, it wouldn't have meant that much, you know? Yeah. So I think that, that um, it's, it's kind of a, it's like that juxtaposition between um, being kind of miserable and failing and then eventually getting success, I think makes you happier that if you have, it's, it's such a weird thought experiment that, that, that actually in the long term of life, the arc of life makes you happier than if you have success day one, because otherwise you're not going to appreciate it. It's such a weird thing to get your head around. Yeah. It's like, you want to be successful, yes. but like, uh, <laughs> did you earn it? <laughs> but it, it, I think it's so true. I think, you know, if you did one podcast episode and suddenly you're ranked above Joe Rogan, you're the top podcaster in the world, you'd be like, it'd be almost too easy. I would but, feel like a huge imposter. Syndrome. I'm like, <laughs> exactly. what did I do to get <laughs> that's a good point but the more yeah as the more work you put in the more you 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 feel like you belong and the imposter syndrome goes down so i think that's a that's a great point you know what's funny uh lex friedman who i I said was listening to his episode with dr jordan peterson he his most uh recent episode is with kanye west i haven't heard it yet but i'm excited for that one kanye is all over the place that's why i'm excited because you you have this incredible scientist mind and then you've got kanye i'm really curious to see how they're going to interact ability to be patient and to help like dissect what Kanye's trying to think about and like it's it's interesting to watch the back and forth on that but I'm also curious like do you think the crime in and this is such a long-term solution but like is it salvageable is it is Chicago maybe under new management under new leadership um, pe- yes. maybe a mayor who's a little more pro-police um, you know I think I think you have to the only way to solve the crime problem is you have to take, it's gonna be a, a two-part solution. And the first solution is, the, the two-part, um, two parts. First solution is you have to have leadership that prioritizes on, um, not, right now I feel like it's almost, that thing going in, the bill passing uh, January 1st, the gonna safety, go to, yeah. it's so ridiculous. Like someone can break in your house and not leave and you call the police and they'll just give them a ticket. They can't even move them. Like So you have to get, number one, you have to have stricter, um, safety laws for the citizens today so the Ken Griffins and those people are not going to leave Chicago at the same time you have to have a decade long approach where you have to reinvest in these communities because when they put that Whole Foods on in the south side Inglewood yeah. Inglewood Inglewood used to have the worst crime now it's switched to East Garfield Park I think mm. now has the most shootings that really helped Inglewood by putting that in there and I love running well, they're gone now What's that? Sorry? Whole Foods, like they left. I oh, think. they did? During the pandemic, I think oh, they closed no. down. Oh, no, I, I didn't know. Okay, so it, that's terrible. Um, I think it has to be a hu- it has to be huge investment. It's just in like, which business starts? Which exactly starts? Because that's the problem is, listen, I'm, I'm definitely probably, I probably lean more right than left, but um, I, I'm kind of a mix on, on issues. One thing that drives me nuts is the, the left... The, I think a lot of the intentions they do are good. So that one that where they said, listen, in California, if you st- if it costs over a thousand to prosecute and you steal less than a thousand, it makes sense to say it's not it's going to save everyone money to not cross prosecute. But then it incentivizes people to go in stores, take five hundred dollars, and just leave. Oh so then God. then the effect is Walgreens closes ten stores in these neighborhoods, and then the poor innocent people again and now can't get their they don't have what access. Did I, see? I saw 
I saw a uh, cashier or some guy at Home Depot in the in the parking lot trying to stop someone, a thief, from walking out with a bunch of. And in the comment, the comment section was really. They're like, "Why are you stealing Ryobi? Like, like it's such a <laughs> shitty. It's a shitty brand compared to the other ones. Like, why are they? Because like, well, you make hundred percent profit by stealing. Yeah. <laughs> but the Home Depot uh, clerk was trying to stop them, and um, the thief shoved him down, and the Home Depot clerk like broke several bones. Oh, right. So like, at the end of the day, it's like when you want to stop crime from happening, like, do you think the employer is going to pay for your bills or going to care about you exactly. if you die from that? So I think that's the thing is, so you have to have some incentive today to, right now I feel like it's almost incentivizing crime with some of these crazy policies. So you have to get rid of those policies and be much, there, there should be a huge campaign. One thing that drives me nuts is, I come from a mathematical background, so statistics. So if, if you have, it with all the police in America and all the interactions, you probably have, hundreds of thousands of interactions a day. Now, you can have 99.5% of those that are really positive, and then you have half a percent that are bad, but if the media picks up on those, they can push a narrative that, that creates an illusion that the reality is very different, that's very different from the reality. So one thing, I think that this disgusting campaign we had a few years ago to demonize the police, and you still see it around here, you still see these um, signs, you know, anti-police signs. It's like, it's so short-sighted. It, it shouldn't be anti-police because the, all that does is give power to the criminals it should be better police it's, mm -hmm. it's very simple so there, should, there needs to be a massive campaign there needs to be a few things happen right now we need a massive pro um, pro police and law and order campaign alongside with less incentive for criminals but then i think the long-term solution is it's decades long it's you, you know if you're if you're a kid growing up in a bad area and you don't have a father figure a parent um and naturally you're gonna you're gonna have peer attachments as opposed to parental attachments because your mom might be working or she's tied up with other things you don't have a dad around um so you're you're always gonna have the peer attachments and and those peers are gonna push you towards if especially if they're in crime they're gonna push you towards life a life of crime so i feel for those kids because the momentum to to, to be that, that's pulling them to a life of crime is so much stronger than than a life as a good productive citizen so i feel for those kids so much because they're they're growing up in such an impossible situation so how do you fix that well first thing is you shouldn't be locking up people for things like you know now marijuana is legal there's all these people in jail for marijuana you know so there, there should be it should just be violent criminals are locked up not not you know there should be better um the justice system needs to be reformed but there's got to be more investment. So if you grew up with no dad and your mom's not around, who can you turn to? Well, look at um, Leon Edwards is the British welterweight. He just won the, the, against huge odds, he won the British, um, he won the UFC welterweight title. And he, he was an immigrant in London um, from, from uh, I think, um, one of the Caribbean islands. I forget which one. And um, he had a real tough time and he found a life, he found discipline through martial arts and it got him off the streets and now he's a champion. But if you, if you saw his coach in the corner, he was losing up until the fifth round. And he won by knockout. Mm. And his coach it was there is a beautiful montage to Rocky music because his nickname is Rocky, Leon Rocky Edwards. There's a beautiful montage of his coach yelling at him in the corner. And he's like, come on, son. Don't let me bully you, son. And he's treating, and he's, he's almost like a very father figure to this, to, this, um, to this fighter. And that was the relationship. I heard him on, um, being interviewed after his coach. And he said, you know, I was, I had my son was his age when he came to the gym and they kind of grew up together and he was always like a son to me. And you can see that relationship. So I think those in those, in those areas of Chicago 
where you have to, that these kids have to have some kind of structure. And the best thing that I can think about is sports, but it's any kind of after school programs, mm. whether they have mm. engineering mindsets and they can get into these engineering apprenticeships. So it, there's so many, there's so many different programs and sports is just something that I'm familiar with. So of course I'm going to lean towards that, but there's so many people that are successful athletes that were completely lost, troubled teenage kids. And now they're really successful hard um tax-paying citizens productive members of society whether they're yeah. they're retired fighters or whatever they are so i think we all have that period where between you know between say six and 16 or something that that period of our development where if if you're not going to have a parents around and it, it's too easy for your for your peer attachments to Very pull you down a, yeah. yes down a dark life so we have to just have this and this is this is such a it's such a difficult thing it's such a long-term and that's the problem oh, it's with politicians. Yeah. Yes, politicians think in these you know two or four year terms. You got kids raising kids. Yes, well, we've got to think. We've got to think how are we gonna how are we gonna raise better kids. We we can't think about solving this in two years. This is this is a generation. This is a huge pr- a problem, and we just. I love that approach, though, of just instead of trying to lock up every bad person, which of course that there's certain violent psychopaths that unfortunately you have to remove from society, but. It, it's it's trying it's these kids that are like on that line between they're not they're not doing good things but they're not killing people and we've got to save those kids because they're still they're salvageable mm. so i think that's and th- i mean that's that's my uneducated and it's not really my forte but that's just the, the that's the solution is yeah, that's a good answer but it's a really difficult one victor because too many people that's what drives me nuts about um these political fighting where they're just they're saying these little sound bites. Well, well how are you going to do that? Well, I want to give money to everybody. Well, well, who's who are you getting that money from? Oh, you're going to just create the money out of thin air, so my grandkids have to pay for it with inflation. Other way, like if there's too many there's too many politicians now that just want to throw money at problems, and it's not their money to throw, and we're paying for it generation down the road. And I think that's one of the tragedies of the system we're in right now. And it's so tough because I'm an immigrant, and I think I'm very lucky because I have an immigrant mentality, and a lot of people, like we were talking about before, you know, like if your your parents are very successful and wealthy, and you grow up with everything, you don't really have much drive because you were given too much luxury. That's not a good like. They're, they're the kids that turn to drugs and and kind of they become kind of juvenile delinquents because they have too much. So it's this fine line between between trying to um, you want to invest as a as a as a city invest in experiences I think yeah invest in programs that are going to give kids experiences and hardships through sports or hardships through apprenticeships you know Um, but I think the, the it's it's again it always comes down to these are really friggin' hard questions and they're not easy answers but i just know until we can agree crime's a problem we're never going to get anywhere and right now we're almost that we're almost pretending you know that i think lightfoot just said recently someone i i i don't follow any news so the only reason i know th- what's going on is people send me things and someone sent me a clip of her talking saying crime's not a problem in chicago you know? <laughs> it's just it's so sad when, when you hear leadership say that and you know that you know 14 kids were, were shot over last weekend it's it's really sad yeah what a few days ago in in brighton park uh not too far from here uh i think three there is it was one of those like where cars blocked the intersection they were doing donuts and then they were just like at least 13 to 15 shots fired and three ended up going to the hospital self-transporting but they ended up succumbing to their injuries jesus yeah it's it's really sad and because life is hard enough and then you add in violent crime and it's just it's got no chance (laughs) it's yeah, it, it's interesting. I had a guest on who who grew up in uh, Pilsen, and uh, he said uh, he he had a mom that cared, that warned him like your risk for crime or injury 
exponentially increases after a certain time and you go out um and she would try to stop him but he would he would still go out at you know out late at night and uh you know kids will be kids at the end of the day um but it's, it's one it's, thing yeah i don't know how do you, how do you provide these consequences to people before it happens because i've also met with people that would respond to these trauma centers um after someone's been shot and try to give them you know try to try to work with them for their future after they've been shot and minimize future retaliations and and stuff like that but all that stuff is very reactionary right so like how how do we show the consequences of gun violence or just violence in general before it actually happens and as a parent and not even talk about gun violence but i think back to me um surviving to adulthood and like when i first learned to drive i was driving my dad's old ford escort and i would drive you know 100 on the I highway an escort too. but i mean i would drive 100 on the highway with my buddies when we were going yeah, oh, yeah, i'd yeah. never drink and drive but i would drive way too fast the wheels probably weren't great um i could have easily had a bad accident um luckily i just i never was a big drinker so i would just normally drive and my friends would drink but you know drunk driving is a huge problem now for the youth and when you're young you just don't think like you and i we think about these things when you're 18 19 20 how do i like one of my the biggest fragility of life yes i think one of my biggest fears as a parent is when he gets his first set of car keys and he goes out with his friends driving my car it's just it's terrifying to think but i think one thing i love about my dad and we were talking about this a bit i think before we, we started recording but i love my dad i love my parents but my dad is at the stage where he's like you know you and your brother i've done my job you know, I still have things I want to do. I'm 73 and he spent all, all summer hiking across the, across the Pyrenees mountains. And I think it's awesome. He does that. And he's kind of like, it's on you now. I'm not going to worry anymore. I worried till you left home and then it's on you. And I think that's something that I'm going to have to deal with is I always thought I'd be one of those parents where I'm just like, I have figured out. And then actually now I'm just, I'm, I was always, I would always joke that my wife would be like the warrior, the warrior and the helicopter mom. And I would be like, ah, he's fine. But then I remember we were on vacation in Italy and he was just running around. He kept falling and we're on these cobblestone streets. And I'm just like, I just don't want him to trip and like smash his face on this sure. cobblestone and like knock all his teeth in or like hit the back of his head and get concussion. And you start thinking these things as a parent and you realize that, you know, how fragile they are. But if, if you take that too far, you will drive yourself nuts with worry. So it's this, it's this fine balance. So speak, yeah, speaking, uh, this will be the last thing, I think. Speaking of worried, I'm sure you've met people that um, feel crippled by all the shit that's going on around the oh. world, just in, even in just Chicago. Yes. And they feel unable to carry on with life. They feel, it kind of causes them to be in a depression in a way, right? Whereas on the other end of the spectrum, you meet people that kind of just leave that area or, or close off the rest of the world and just focus on them and their own, like them and their family. Um, sometimes that feels, that feels selfish, but at the times like, how can you take on, you know, even if you are empathetic, like how can you keep carrying the burden of everyone around you uh, without, while let, like not taking care of yourself, you know, like you, for, you gotta take care of yourself before you can take care of other people, but I've seen people on both ends of that spectrum. That's such a that's so true, and I have to. Um, I think the this selfish thing. If you if you say, listen, I can't control that. I'm just going to focus on me and my happiness, or I drive myself crazy. The problem with that is then you get like I don't know who this this crime bill going to affect in Chicago. I just I don't know who voted for that, and I know it was kind of in the 2020 hysteria, the anti-police like peak. But it it's just such a it seems so crazy that that was voted in. And I, I don't know who voted for it, but I'd imagine most people, most people that I talk to are so shocked when they find out it's, it's really happening in January. And I think 
that's the problem with that approach where you just say, listen, I can't control that. I'm just going to focus on me. Otherwise, I'm going to drive so crazy. So I think you have to kind of place some, you have to have some awareness of what's going on. Otherwise, mm-hmm. things won't get better. Um, but I, I just keep coming down to, number one, that, that, that phrase they say on the plane, like put your oxygen mask on before you help somebody else. No, no one is any good if you're a mess. So you have to put your health, your mental and physical health. And we, we're, we're in a, the real pandemic right now is mental health, right? That my, my wife as a therapist, she hasn't even graduated. She graduates in a few weeks. She's already got more clients than she can handle. I mean, she, she, there's so much demand for therapy because so many people are depressed and it's really heartbreaking. So the first thing to do is you've got you've to put your health and that's physical and mental health. And I think the best thing for f- mental health is physical. I think too many people, I know myself included, it's very hard to worry too much when I'm physically beat up because I'm so exhausted. I f- and normally, it's when you have all this, you, you haven't done anything for a few days and you've got, then, then your mind just goes to dark places. But typically, so the first thing I think is this, podcasts are so great. Put in an inspirational podcast, even if you're in horrible shape and you can't even do a sit-up, go for a walk. Put in a podcast and if it's cold in Chicago, put a hat and a jacket on and walk, walk for a, an hour up and down the lakefront. Like, that, that alone will do you good. The exercise, you're listening to, to people talking about things, your mind will go to different places, you're getting the movement, you're getting exercise. It, just something as small as that. And then, of course, when you get in better shape, you can go running, you can go to the gym, you can find some you know, yoga or any exercise you want to do. But I think that one of my favorite things from, from Dr. Jordan Peterson, he says is, too many people are at step one, and they're like, well, how do I get to step 99? Instead of saying, well, how do I get from step one to step two and then step three? think smaller and I remember when I read that in one of his books I thought that's so silly like aim sm- aim down like that's so silly but I think it's true I think too many people you can't miss you can't you can't save the world till you, till you get yourself in a good place and then I think if you can't you know I, I can't even vote I've been here for 19 years I got in 20, December of 2020 I passed my citizen test so I, I became um, I passed my citizen exam but I, my swearing in they said we're going to call you in a few weeks and you have to come for your swearing in to be a citizen here I am nearly two years later I'm still waiting for the call I think they're backed up uh, either, it, either it got lost in the mail or they're backed up but um, I've gone through that process for I've been paying taxes for 19 years I still haven't been able to vote um, at all you know because I'm not a citizen yet but even even if so even if you're not playing a part voting for better leaders because I think we all have to take some accountability and vote for better leaders you know we're skin in the game at least, you know, we can affect the people around us. Like for me, I don't have any reach affecting, you know, millions of people like Alex Friedman or these people with huge platforms or, or um, Jordan Peterson. But you know who I can affect? I can affect the 20 or the 16 to 18 students that are going to be in my class tomorrow when I teach jiu-jitsu. I can impact the people that are listening to our conversation. I can impact the people I work with. I can impact my inner circle. So I think if we all just try to, instead of trying to change the world and get into all these silly Twitter fights and all this stuff we do, if we can just try to be a positive positive, um, person and inspirational and motivational and educational to the people in our inner circle, that's in, and they'll do that. And, and that, that is going to, Immediately, yeah. you know, if I impact ten people positively, and they all impact ten people, ripple, right? exactly the yeah. ripple effects. And I think so. I think that's that's what I try and focus on. Otherwise, like you said, you'll drive yourself crazy. I like that. I mean, it's not. Yeah, you're not like closing yourself off from the world because I hear of people like just like I'm going to buy land, build a cabin, mm-hmm. build my own farm, own animals, and uh, never talk to the world. I thought about that. Victor. I really did. I, there was a time where I got kind of bummed, and it was actually before I met my wife. And I was like, honestly, I was I was really close. I was so frustrated with a few things, and I was like. 
Honestly, I could see myself just getting a cabin and 100 acres in Canada, getting a bunch of huskies and calling it a day. I, would, I don't think I was ever there. I was kind of, I would joke about that with my friends. Um, I think I'm a bit too social for that. But um, that this move in Indiana, I want to clarify, I think it's best for my family. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm going to be in the, especially in the beginning, I'm yeah. still going to be driving to Chicago every day. Right, right. I have a life here. I'm not, I, I, I really, I'm glad you said that because I'm not running away. I think if everyone runs away, then are we just going to let let society degrade to Mad Max? Like, no. Like, just because I want land for my son and I, I don't want to live where people are getting shot outside my or held up at gunpoint at my local BP garage. Like, I don't want to. I don't think. I think that's a toxic environment for my son. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to still contribute to try and make Chicago better. Because I do. I one of my good friends, Sonny, he um he wants to run for mayor, and I told him if he does, I, I'm going to do everything I can to help him. Uh, he the trainer? Yes, the trainer. Yes, yeah, Sonny. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's got. He's he's he does so much. Um, great things for the uh, for this for, next term he's, um, he's, I think or, maybe the following oh, yeah okay. it, but he does so much stuff obviously he's a Nigerian immigrant so he does a lot of stuff for Nigerian families back home in Nigeria but he also does a lot of stuff for the south side of the city and he's he's one of those people where he's such a motivational person and he's so positive and he's just so optimistic and he's so hard working he's up at four every day you know he's just he's, he's in his late 40s and he looks like he's 25 I mean he's just an incredible guy so people like him I'm, every time I'm around him I just think I got to do a lot more because that that thing you said. I've got friends too. I got a friend that a great guy moved to Vegas. He's like, screw this. I understand why they're moving. I understand because I have those same frustrations when you see the leadership doing things you think is crazy. But you you still we're still creatures of society. And I always think like if I'm great and I'm just like I'm out of here. I still have a lot of people that live in Chicago that I really care about. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I'm not just going to lead them. You know, up up to the you know to, to the Mad Max I don't I don't want this city to go down that route and I still have faith and I do and like we said earlier about the pendulum swinging I think that one of the consequences of um, the hysteria in 2020 and this all this anti-police rhetoric is that we've seen what happens when people are leaving the police force they don't have the manpower when crime is going up I mean all the statistics nationally I'm pretty sure in every big city crime has spiked right in every city and I mean listen in the 80s crime was really bad and crime got a lot better because we did have the right policies. So I'm very, I'm, you have to be, no one can predict the future, but you have to be optimistic. I do think interest rates are going to come back down. I don't think we're going to have this crazy economic um, crash again, like in 2009. I think it's mm-hmm. going to be a much a much softer, um, it's going to be a bit of a reset, but I think it's, rates are going to come down that the economy is going to pick back up. And I think that enough people of means are upset by the crime to vote in better leadership i really do i think and we don't know that for sure but we have to stay optimistic mm-hmm. and we've got to stop fighting it like it just doesn't do, do it any good to to fight with people um like we are uh, I, yeah i think a lot of people are just due to mental health like are on the edge and mm-hmm. it'll just take one little thing to like set them off yes and, and i mean that this I, i've got some people that are really worried about nuclear war I haven't even thought about that because that's so far, like when you start thinking about, you know, nuclear war with Russia and Ukraine, it's such a mess. That's going to drive you crazy. I mean, at, at the same time, thinking, kind of thinking about it helps you reevaluate like what's important in your life. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. I, I remember. Yeah, that's very true. The, the idea that intellectual game where you say, if I've got, if I find out I have a terminal disease, and I've only got a year left. How would I change the things I'm doing? I think that's a really good thought experiment because we all have a terminal disease. It's and if the best case scenario we live to a natural death, we still have a limited time. And that's Yeah. I mean I, I remember people saying, you know, when when people were advocating for uh widely wearing the masks everywhere, um, you know, people would say like you have 
just as much of a risk getting hit by a car stepping outside of your house. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that, that's a great point, Victor. When, when COVID came, the problem with COVID for a lot of these people in leadership positions is they didn't understand um, risk. And by, by saying, we're going to do everything we can to not spread COVID, that's only one risk. But what about the risk of mental health? What about the risk of opioid addiction? What about the risk of people staying in, getting depressed and putting on 20 pounds? It's going to lead to all these physical symptoms down the road. So it's a very, that when I was trading, there was this wonderful thing that I learned when my trading company. Every time you do a trade in the trading pit, you have two things you have to think about. What is the risk, meaning how much can I lose? And what is the reward, meaning how much can I make? And if you have to balance that out, and that's a beautiful metric with living your life. So when I, when I put myself out there and I reached out to my, um, my wife, um, the, the risk was nothing. She, she, if it didn't work out, I'm not going to lose anything. The reward is we now we're married. We have, a, we have a son. So that's an obvious one, right? And you can, you can apply that matrix. What is the risk that I leave a job that I hate and try to build a business and something that I love? Well, the risk is that you're going to lose a, lose a paycheck, but the reward is you could change your life. But the worst case scenario, I'm sure you can get another job that's similar that you also hate. Mm-hmm. You know, like that, there's not that much downside. And I think that risk reward ma- matrix, you can apply to so many things. And by looking, I always look at that. And then I always look at what my, my te- in 10, 20 years down the road, looking back at this, what decision would I make? And I think those two things, in order, whenever you're faced with a hard decision, they're very, very good things to look at in order to find an answer. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, to close it, uh, if people want to find you and learn and hear more about you and your, your philosophy on life, uh, where can they find you? Victor, you're such a great guy. It's been such a, a treat and a, and a pleasure talking to you. I know we could talk all day. Um, I, if you want to listen to my podcast, I have some very interesting, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's guests on everything that I'm passionate about, whether it's finance, real estate, entrepreneurship, jujitsu, psychedelics, um, a lot, lot of different things. What did you learn from ayahuasca, actually? So I did two different weekends. And the, the one thing I learned before I even did it is you don't just take a drug. You, you set intentions. You change your diet a month before. So you, oh, you eliminate. Yeah, you eliminate. If you do it properly, you eliminate certain foods. You go into it with where you, you think about intentions and things on your mind that you're really trying to, that you're questioning, that you're figuring out, that your subconscious or your conscious has been grappling with for a long time. So before you even take the medicine, you're in a you're in a pretty spiritual place. And I did it with a group of jujitsu guys. Most of them were instructors. We all kind of had that same mindset. Really, it was a lot of um, very alpha males, but they had checked egos. So it's a very good atmosphere. And um, the the big I did two different weekends. And the first one was the big overriding lesson for me was I have to stop trying to do more and be much happier with what I've got. And it was like a big check on, on my dreams and aspirations. And, um, and st- it's almost like, don't miss what you have in the pursuit of what you want. And so I, I, I got a lot of just, a lot better perspective in my life. And it, it stuck with me for a long time, but it's like everything. Over time, it does fade. Um, so you know, as the months went by, I, I definitely found myself forgetting some of those lessons. Um, the second, and the, the reason I wanted to do it the first time was because I heard these people that would say, my life is, is, too, is split up into two parts. The first was before I did ayahuasca and the second is after. It changed the way they look at the world so much that they would see it as a separation of their life. Mm. And, and I was, so I was so, fa- I've, I've always been fascinated by different things. 
And That's what, such a high expectation. Yes. So I think I went into it with a really big expectation. And I don't want to say I was disappointed, but I think I went into it the first time I did it. I think I was f- around 40. I've put myself in many different situations of hardship, especially through fighting and doing other things I've done, like ultramarathon running and things like that, where I've pushed my mind to incredible places. So I think the effects weren't as strong for me. So I don't think, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I have two, two lives. I'd say I had very positive benefits, but it was much more... Um, it was much more along the lines of things that I'd kind of been thinking about anyway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The second time I went was, um, it was supposed to be a, a Saturday, Sunday, um, and I did, or Friday, Saturday maybe, and I did the first day, and I remember I went into the desert by myself. You, you do it, you're supposed to stay, this, there, was, there was about eight of us doing it, and there was a few people that were looking after us, and you're supposed to all stay together, because we were, we were on a um, Native American reservation in Joshua Tree, in the middle of nowhere, and I just need to be by myself. So I went for a walk as, as far as I could go and I sat on a bench and um, actually one of the guides came out and he said, are you okay? And I said, I really just want to be by myself with my thoughts. And we spoke for a bit and he said, you're fine. He went off, he left me. And I spent a long time just reflecting on everything. And I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but you know, we have to be honest when we do these things, Victor. I had, I had this feeling that I shouldn't be there. And I had, my wife was pregnant at the time. And I just remember this, this feeling like, you've got to stop trying to see what else is out there. It's because I had this feeling like I'm missing things in life. I hear these stories and I'm, I'm missing it. And you've got to, you've got to stop thinking there's more out there and you've got to be there for the person that needs you the most. And that's, that's your wife. So the next morning I felt so bad because I really believe in commitments and I hate backing out of my word. And we were there for a two, two day, two night experience and so we all had breakfast and I said to my friend who organized it, I said, Nick, I'm so sorry. I have to go back. I felt so guilty. I was like, I've got, I've got to go. I, I, I called up Southwest. I changed my flight and I left. And um, it was one of those things where I, I didn't, I don't think I needed it then. I needed mm-hmm. to, to be there for my pregnant wife, you know, and, and, and not be with a bunch of guys in the desert trying to, trying to figure other things out. And that's not to say that I figured out life by any stretch of the imagination, because I still change my mind on things every day. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's endlessly frustrating. But uh, I, I would just say I had two very positive experiences. And I think the setting was very important because the second time I remember feeling very different and I hadn't taken anything. Mm. I was feeling different because I had been thinking about things that I'd never, I had put extra effort in to really thinking about what I wanted to get out of something. And I was outside in a huge circle, we all had our own space, and I saw the sun setting and the stars come out in Joshua Tree. That alone, how often do I do that? I live in Chicago. You know, yeah. so, so, it's, it's, so I think with psychedelics, a lot of it is, is about the environment and the setting and the intentions as opposed to the actual medicine you're taking. Yeah, I, I watched a documentary on legalizing uh, psychedelics, and I think each episode was a different psychedelic. Oh, gotcha. Um, and I think ayahuasca was the only one where the indigenous people really don't want it to become legal. They, they want it to keep it special uh, yes. and indigenous. Um, gotcha. So. Uh, yeah, it's interesting, and it's interesting to see. You know, we talked about Tim Ferriss and like all the research that, um, or possible benefits that these can bring to people that you know regular pharmaceuticals can't provide. Especially for you know victims of PTSD and mm-hmm. things like that. I think it's so important. But also, you know, uh, a shout out for anyone in Chicago listening. Uh, Eight twenty North Orleans is where Valco Jiu Jitsu is. Um, I teach there, but it's my instructor Jay Valco. It's such a good school, and I think. Jiu-Jitsu is, there's a few people that have really been pushing Jiu-Jitsu to help um, people overcome PTSD and, and um, things like that. I think Jiu-Jitsu, is, 
it's great for veterans, of course, they, they're, they're suffering worse. But like you said, so many people are on the edge and they don't have good friendships. They don't have community. They don't have a physical outlet. They don't have a skill mm. or passion they're learning. Jiu-Jitsu gives you all of that. And I just, the more, I, more and more, anyone that's struggling in life, come down, come Wednesday at noon, I teach a class, come down, check it out. It's just, I think it's so important to find a community. And Jiu-Jitsu, you might hate it. It might not be for you. That's a, It's just one avenue. There's so many different avenues. Um, that There's these, um, these things for kids because my son has a real engineering mindset and I, my, my wife's been finding these incredible programs for like young engineers and there's there's so many different things like things that are so esoteric but you just it doesn't matter how weird you think you are there's other people like you so all we got to do in life is we've got to find our group of people and that's yeah. one of the beautiful things about the internet is it makes it easier for these people to find each other because for the longest time I didn't fit in with my school like mm. all, all my, my childhood friends just wanted to drink and chase girls and I always had a different I always felt like I didn't fit in for Same. the longest time yeah. yeah so I think that's it's, um, it's yeah, a beautiful thing find your tribe it could be you know find your tribe or it can be also polarizing. But I guess polarizing yes. in the sense that you find your tribe and you just close off the other side. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, listen, the beautiful thing about podcasting is I have, I'm doing a, an episode next week. Um, that she lives in Australia. Yeah. One of my past guests is in Perth, Australia. Um, you know, it's, it's, technology has a lot of negatives, like you said, so social media too. But if used correctly, I think it has a huge positive because it does. I, I have a network of kindred spirits from all over the world. And I don't take that for granted. Like, I went for my honeymoon to New Zealand and I went to this really good jiu-jitsu gym and I spent a few few times straight in there and I've become friends with the owner. And like, it, it's to make that connection, like he runs a school in Auckland and he's such a kindred spirit. And we, we shared some precious, you know, time sparring on the mats and you get this connection. And I, that's just one example, but I feel like I have a network now all over the world through jiu-jitsu and through doing things like this podcasting. And it's something that, it's, it's not been easy. I've, I've had to build it over the years, but it's something that I don't take for granted. So that's what, the, the, it's so easy to look at the negatives of technology. And I think we have to focus on, if used correctly, and that's the big if, right? If used correctly, if you can leave your phone in the other room for a few hours, but there's so many benefits. I just think it's, it's, um, it's an incredible time we're living through. And we're still, our brains have not evolved to deal with technology and being, mm. you know, like imagine being, Alex Friedman, where you have a million people following you and criticizing you and, and loving you. And it's got to be so overwhelming because our brains just didn't develop for this kind of these kind of numbers and the kind of world we live in. But the good job is like you and I are doing our best and we're trying to just have good conversations and meet it. good people yeah. and I, grow together. My, my friend uh, makes more money from being a dog influencer on TikTok than her tech job. Right. And uh, okay. but she shares from time to time, like how there are. Uh, harsh criticisms like and and you can hurt the feelings of people that are creating this content and uh, you forget that there's a human on the other side of that screen <laughs> yeah and I, I do the same thing that like when when you see people writing really negative things immediately especially if it's completely against your beliefs the initial reaction is you want to say something aggressive back but really what you should say to them is I'm sorry you're having a bad day because that's most of the time when people are doing that is that they're having a bad day and I think one of the beautiful things I think Joe Rogan might have said it is don't judge someone on their worst moment. And that's normally like if you get into an instant, say I use the example of road rage. Some, some guy cuts you off, gives you the finger and tells you to you know go fuck yourself or something. It, it, that's not him. He, for all you know, he's cutting you off to get to the hospital because his wife's having, having some emergency procedure. You never know the backstory. So that's something I'm trying. I've, I'm a former fighter. I've got a temper. And it's something I'm working on is trying to be more patient. And don't, don't just see something and react to it. 
try to take a step back and think there's a whole world of a person that you have no, you have nothing you have no idea what he's going through and try to just give him the benefit of the doubt and that's something i'm working on yeah yeah, yeah. um i think i cut you off before you're plugging yourself but oh uh, thank you enter the lionheart is the name yes. of the podcast Enter the lionheart and um if you want anything if you want to follow me on in terms of real estate related my linkedin is just lawrence dunning i, I do post quite a lot of articles and properties and i gotta get back to i've been a bit lazy on my articles but i i do love talking on there about you know the real estate market in general, the real estate market in Chicago, what's out there, what's selling. And um, so if you're interested in real estate, that's a, that's a good uh, a good reference point. I guess one, one last tangent. It's just like any thoughts or like do you feel any type of way with how gentrification is happening as you start to develop properties in neighborhoods that are up and coming? So gentrification is tough because I understand the people that don't like it because it's making places unaffordable. But the way I look at it, especially like most of the developers that are building now in the south side, you're changing, you're, you're building on vacant land and you're putting in tenants with good credit and good income and you are making the blocks better. So I see it as a much more positive. Like I see it as I'm playing a part in rebuilding these areas of the city that are just downtrodden, you know. So I see that as a bit more of a, of a positive. Um, I understand the negative aspects of gentrification where people are getting priced out. And that, I don't think that's the, I guess I don't, I, I don't think it's the. I guess f- I'm not saying it's like your problem to fix, but like, have you met people with potential solutions of how to help these people stay in that neighborhood? Gosh, yeah, exactly. No, unfortunately, the, the, the only solution that I can think about is if you're, if you're like a renter in the area or, and you're trying to buy and you're not on the property ladder yet, it's very difficult, right? Because mm-hmm. you get it priced out. So the easiest thing would be is to try to just, coming back to the beginning of this conversation, is try to own assets. So even if it's not the place that you, it's not your forever home, if it's a, if it's a you know, the only thing you can afford to, to own in an area that's gentrifying and you can buy something as opposed to rent it, and then while that's appreciating and while you're saving money to get the place that you do want, hopefully the appreciation of the place you're going to get is going to kind of balance out with the mm-hmm. place you want to buy. But it's, it's very difficult because I don't think it's the problem of gentrification in the sense of, I think they, a lot of people paint it as, oh, these, these evil investors are coming in and pricing us out of the neighborhood. I think it's more a case of the um, financial system mm-hmm. is in an inflationary mm. currency that's pricing everyone out and the developers are only developing where they're going to make opportunities. So I think even if the developers weren't around, that's, it would still be happening. It's just kind of sped up a bit, I guess, yeah, by the no, There's so, so many nuances yes. to this. Uh, there was a former alderman uh, who is trying to push for public options. Um, mm. So whether you, instead of going to um, the, uh, what's the, um, a place to like cashier to get a payday check. Um, oh, yes, yes. The, the, the interest rates on that are, in, are insane. So in, why don't you create a bank within the postal service, USPS, um, maybe minimal interest interest rates, lower interest rates, and uh, provide more of an incentive or an opportunity for them to reinvest that money back into the community. Mm, okay. So yeah, that's that's a whole different you know conversation. It's not just uh, properties. Um, there's so much more to and just financial literacy. Like people that didn't grow up here, they aren't aware of how the system works. I think and know? I think that's so that's the concept of tax write offs. Like how many people don't get that concept? And I the thing is I've always had good accountants, so I don't know personally all the I just know that they know what I'm, they're doing. So I I'm think using your your CP the one oh, the awesome. one you referred yes. me to. Lauren concepts like finding a good broker or a good CPA. Mm. I couldn't get that off Google. Yes. You Google CPA in the area. Why is it not there? A hundred percent. I think that's the um if there's 
there's so many things we, that people can take network away. Network means your network. Yes, right? exactly. It's, it's an, an ask, and that's the other thing too. Is one thing I'm very good at is I, I love connecting good people. So anytime someone asks me, I think, and I, I don't obviously I don't get anything out of it, but it, it does. People do tend to get referred back to you, so you, you do you, in a roundabout way it does come back to you. But if you can try to connect, if you if you know good people or whatever they do, and you try and connect them with other good people, that's another way you can give back. Is you try and just you might not have the knowledge, but if you know someone that has the knowledge or the skills or they're, they're in the industry that your other friend needs for that particular industry, connect people. And I feel like I do that all the number of times a day that I'm sending contacts to other people. And I love it. I love it when good people get together. Mm-hmm. And I love it when like a Sonny, my friend, we're talking about who wants to run for mayor. He met one of my best investors, Dean, at an event. And I was sitting on my couch on a whatever Friday night. And I get a text with the two of them grinning like, hey, buddy, we just met. And <laughs> Dean met Sonny because he saw a picture of us on Facebook. He has a startup where it's um, like a concierge service. And Dean needs a con- and Sonny needs one for his charity. So now they're working together. It's like that little thing. It's so nice when you, you can make those connections or people can see you with certain people and make connections. So, again, there's so many negatives to social media, but that is a good one. Is Maybe that's a good place to start for... Uh, developing communities yes is providing opportunities for people to meet so exactly yeah exactly because and that's the other thing too the I hate the idea of when COVID happened mom and pop stores were shut down but yeah. the big chains could keep going yeah. because I will pay obviously if you're struggling you have to just get the cheapest but when you get to a certain level, I will pay a small premium to have, I want to support local businesses. I'll rather support American made than something be made in a sweatshop in Asia, you know? So it's like, I think there's building those communities and that's something I'm really looking forward to in Indiana is I want to find like a, a farmer and a farmer's market. And I want to, mm-hmm. I want to have a bit more connection to my food as opposed to just ordering it from a store. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really got that, that sense of community. I think that in that, we are kind of coming back to it. It was like for the longest time, it was all about cheaper and outsourcing yeah, and just getting Amazon, cheaper. Walmart. Yes. Yeah. And now people are kind of coming back to, there's more to life than just cheaper and efficiency. It, there's also the sense of community and also su- supporting local farmers and things like that. So Curious how, if, if Amazon is thinking about that, um, because pe- people are starting to think about, you know, is Amazon the best place if I truly want to support my, my community and local businesses? I might have to skip out on having same day delivery yes, in, in exactly. order to go down the street and order something. <laughs> exactly. I mean, listen, convenience. We've never lived in a better time where you can order food, put on Netflix, and just have everything delivered to you and not do anything. I bought the last two cars on my phone and my underwear, like Carvana, really? and then and then wow. they deliver it to you. You can even sell your car to Carvana. They'll pick it up for you. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, listen, these things are great if you're busy, but you just got to yeah. be careful because it they've made life so easy that you just don't want to be. You can do all that if you're busy doing a bunch of other things with your time and energy. But if you're just sitting on the couch watching Netflix all day, getting everything delivered to you, that's probably the, not the best idea to have mental and, and, and physical and spiritual health. <laughs> what a crazy life we live. Um, Lawrence, I don't think this will be the last time we talk. Definitely it was such not. a pleasure. Um, I'll plug all the links in the show notes. Um, but till next time, buddy. Really appreciate you, Victor. Thank you so much for having me on. All right. Peace, guys.